a sulky, over-funky, kinda hunky superhero. A two-fisted and electrically transistored superhero. An exotically neurotic and aquatic superhero. The Marvel superheroes have arrived. Hello and welcome to Marvel Vision, a Marvel Studios TV podcast brought to you by Cinema Sangha. Uh, this week we're doing something a little bit different. Usually we do an episode of this program and we talk about a Marvel Studios TV show or in the case when we're on an off season, we might talk about something else from Marvel on TV. We've done uh, one of the Incredible Hulk TV movies. But this week we're going to go a little bit different. This began life as a recap with a Q&A, like a year-end recap with a Q&A. And we have gotten enough questions submitted, more than I expected, that I think that we're not going to be able to do the recap this episode. Do you think? Do you think I'm right about that? Oh, um, yeah, I guess so. Oh, by the way, I'm that's Derek. By the way, <laughs> that's Derek. My name is Devin Fracci. I haven't introduced either one of us. Like this is like this is this is like not a good first episode. I think or maybe this is a really good first episode. This could be a great first episode. This could be a great first episode. But I think that we have enough questions that cover enough all ground. New, all new story. Exactly. Well, it's the untold origin. Somebody asked us about our untold origin, so oh, that's true, yeah. that will show that will come up in the episode. Um, but I feel like um, some of this stuff is going to cover some ground that we might otherwise have talked about doing like a year end recap, like how Marvel did this year. But also, there's enough questions that I think we could just do a whole separate year end recap anyway. Yes, and, and I'm, I'm sure in the questions there will be things that touch on Marvel from across the year, right? So. Yeah, there would be elements of that, but even still, yeah. like I think there's gonna we're gonna have enough content here. Content, I hate that word. I used it. But we're gonna have enough stuff here that we're gonna be able to, I think, fill an entire episode with this. Because yeah. I thought we'd like get like enough questions to fill the news segment. Yeah, but we definitely got more than that. Well, good. I'm glad that makes me happy. Me too. Uh, so we opened up the lines to the readers, the subscribers, and the listeners, uh, and we got. Not just text questions, we got voicemails, which I was really excited about. I was really excited to figure out how to get voicemails from people and how to play them on the show. And so we got some voicemails. I'm going to play the voicemails during the course of the program. I'm going to intersperse them with some of the text questions. So do you want to open with the voicemail question? Yeah, let's do it. I don't know what order these are in. These are just sitting here in the sound bar. I don't know what order they're in, so I'm going to be as surprised as you are. You ready? Yep. Hi, Devin and Derek. This is Anthony Pomas calling from your once hometown of New York, wishing you both health and safety amid holidays and Omicron New Year. Here's my question. What can one do to start having fun again with the MCU films? There's so much content now that trying to keep up with all of it is starting to feel like a forever homework assignment. Any advice on how best to make Marvel fun again? And how does one reconcile still being a Scorsese fan in the midst of the superhero CGI cinema age? All the best, guys. Keep them flying. All right, Anthony, first of all, I don't know why your recording was chopped and screwed at the beginning and then went to normal uh, uh, sound later. I don't know what just happened there. Anthony has been a longtime supporter of the Patreon and of the podcasts, uh, so I'm not trying to screw up his voicemail. I I, I absolutely apologize. Uh, but it's a good question that Anthony has. Do you, do you have do you have an answer for him? Yeah, I think the way to keep the MCU fun is not to worry about it. You know, pull the old MST, just sit back and relax. You know, like you don't need to see everything to understand what's happening. Right. Like you, you 
you can see Avengers Endgame and not have seen Captain Marvel and it still works. It's fine. You know, like I think you just watch what you enjoy. And if you don't enjoy it, don't watch it. And trust that the filmmakers and, and the studio understands enough to not just like drop things in randomly. You know, and I think it'll work out. I think the answer is to listen to Marvel Vision and that too. Marvel Vision will guide you through the world of the MCU in such a way that you know, it's like the cliff notes. You don't even need to watch some of these things because we're yeah. going to walk you through it. Uh, but yeah, I think you're also right. I think that the thing is, is that I think a lot of us in this world, people listening to the show, probably somebody who bothers to listen to a podcast about the Marvel Cinematic Universe TV shows probably has a completionist sense to them. Yes. And they want to see everything. And then that can become overwhelming. I have this problem at the end of the year when all the big movies have started coming out and everybody's talking, doing their top tens and the awards chatter has begun. Yeah. I have this problem at the end of the year where I feel like I need to see everything and then it all becomes homework. Okay. And it's not fun. Like I just, this is, Oh, I gotta see this movie. Like, Oh, I gotta sit down and watch this movie. And it's just not fun. And this is actually my problem with binge watching TV shows is that they eventually feels like homework to me. And I have, I have a hard time with that. Um, So I totally get where he's coming from. I do weirdly think that the weekly release schedule of the MCU TV shows helps me make it not feel like homework, even though it is weekly homework. Because it's actually something to look forward to week in and week out. So I really enjoy that aspect of it. There's much more of a collector's, like comic collector's feel to that when it's coming out weekly. Where it's like, ooh, there's a new issue instead of like one a quarter in some way. But yeah, I also think it's really useful to... Try and find somebody who's not who hasn't gotten into it and see if you can get them into it because that gives you a new sense of enjoyment of it of seeing it through their eyes, you know. And that, that who has who has not seen these things? This is like finding I, somebody I actually, who's seen Star Wars. I actually have a theory because about why uh, part of why No Way Home made a billion dollars when the other Spider Man movies didn't, and part of my theory is Disney Plus. Is I know four people who were not into the Marvel movies until they got Disney Plus and then. They were like, I'm paying for the service. I got to watch something on it and watch the Marvel movies and really got into it and were excited for Spider-Man. And I imagine that happened more than four people, not enough to like it alone would make a billion dollars. But between the people that love the Spider-Man MCU already, and then I think Disney Plus helped create more fans. That's my theory. Um, yeah, you know, I think the thing is, is that the Spider-Man movies aren't on Disney Plus. No, but it's part of the MCU. So like they're like, oh, no, you know, they watch the ones on, on Disney Plus and then they rent the Spider-Man movies and then there's a new Spider-Man movie and mixed in with we can finally go back to the theaters for the next two weeks before everything shuts down again. And, you know, it, I think it pushes things. I, I think I really do think a lot of people who weren't into the MCU before just didn't pay attention to it before that much. I think a pandemic mixed with Disney Plus having all the movies on there helped create more fans. That could be. Yeah. Uh, the other part of Anthony's question is how can you be a Scorsese fan in this age of CGI superhero stuff? Let me tell you, I watched um, Scorsese's silence last night. Good timing on that question, Anthony. I watched silence last night. I, I, I so my, my girlfriend, I had told her, I said, okay, before the end of the year, I want to rewatch silence. And, um, we have movie nights in this house. We call them phone down movie nights where we both agree to not look at our phones during a whole movie, which is like a big deal in the 21st century, honestly. <laughs> and, uh, cause like some movies you can watch and you can like look at your phone a little bit sure. or whatever. Yeah. And then, but like the thing is that, you know, for some movies we call in advance say, this is a phones down movie. 
yeah. or this is a phones down show or something like that. And, and part of it also is just like showing the respect to the other person who chose the movie. Yeah. That I'm not going to be on my phone playing solitaire the whole time because I'm like, oh, whatever. So we watched Silence last night. And I think you can do both, you know. I watched Silence last night and I woke up this morning and I watched Book of Boba Fett. So like yeah. I think both these things can and should coexist. I think it's the magic of it. I think I think they have to coexist. Yeah, I agree. And my like my favorite movie of the year, I think the best movie of the year is West Side Story, you know what I mean, which is a non-superhero type of movie. It's a big movie still, but yeah. Um I I love all of it and I think that loving all of it and maintaining loving all of it is um part of the deal. I think you know the thing obviously is that Scorsese like really got under everybody's skin with this superhero stuff. Well, it, it's not even that Scorsese got under everybody's skin. It's that I don't think at least I, I it, it's that actors, you know, keep getting asked about it and then they answer, they answer the question and then everybody gets angry again. And it's just like, relax. <laughs> like it's fine. Like, I don't know if you saw Tom Holland's answer to the question. I, did. I thought it made it, it was a perfect answer. Like, yeah, I don't well, think it was a good answer. I think it was a very answer. good answer. I think it was a very good answer. That it, just as much work goes into making a Marvel movie as it goes into making any movie. I don't think that that's it, yeah. it just you know. I think that's a re- proper answer. Yes, it, you know, the actors go into it thinking about their characters and formulating things, and so do the directors and the writers. And it, it is you know, there's no there's no separation in how the movies are made. It's just the budgets and the action style. I mean, there is a separation in how the movies are made. I mean, quite frankly, like, I mean, what, I, Tom, look, Tom I mean, the, the, the a lot of experience making movies. No, but, but I mean, you know, the, uh, what's it called? The, what was Scorsese's last movie? I can't think of the name. The, I want to say the house painter, but it's not the house painter. The Irishman? The Irishman. Because it was going to be called, uh, You Paint Houses, right? That was the original name. Uh, but The Irishman costs as much as a Marvel movie. It's not about that, though. It's not about the budget. I mean, that's not what... The the, the thing is that the Marvel movies, the studio system, it's very different from the world that Scorsese works within. I don't think that Scorsese doesn't know how to make a Marvel movie or any of that kind of stuff. I think that's why Tom Holland's thing was like a little bit dopey because like... Well, he didn't say he doesn't know how. He said he hasn't done it. Like, well, it's that's something he hasn't done. It, it, yeah, I think yeah. It's, it's true. I get it, but he sort of has because he made a movie with Roger Corman. And I think it's actually very similar in a lot of ways where you have like a strong central producer figure who's telling you what you got to put in your movie. I, I think he actually has made essentially a Marvel movie. I think that Boxcar Bertha operates under some of the same principles. I think it was like movies. How long ago was that? It was like 1971. Right. Um, <laughs> but still, it's the same shit. I mean, like having a strong – the Marvel movies are made the way that – move in some, in some manner are made in the ways that movies were made in the 30s and 40s, which is like yep. a strong centralized production system yep. as opposed to a strong directorial system. Yes. Yep. And so that's the big difference. And I think Scorsese has made a movie under a strong or, – or more than one, but specifically Boxcar Bertha you know, is made like where it's like you got to have this many tits. You got to kill this many guys. You can do whatever else you want in between those two things. That's what I love about exploitation movies. And I think that's what I like about the good Marvel movies is that the filmmakers who can – so in the good exploitation movies, these guys got like a budget, not a lot of money. But they were told yeah. like you got to show so many tits. You got to kill so many people. You got to put my girlfriend in it, This that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then they usually left them on their own to just do everything else. And as long as they hit those metrics, the producers didn't care that much. Yeah. And um, so uh, – I mean here's a story I'm going to tell about a movie that is a filthy movie called water power it's a porn movie i think this actually speaks to the whole thing and with this uh uh uh, the uh the director of that movie had been making porn movies and he had been getting uh he had been getting his movies funded by the mafia 
And the mafia came up to him and they would give him like certain subjects they wanted him to make uh, movies about. And in this case, they gave him the movie, the concept came to him about uh, the Illinois enema bandit, a guy that broke into women's homes and uh, gave them enemas against their will, rape enemas. And so he made, so they, they, he got this idea and they made this movie and the movie came back. It's like the most disgusting movie you could ever imagine. And the mafia guys were like going to kill him. Uh, because he had taken their money and spent it on this nightmare movie. And then it turned out that the Germans loved it. And so it made a lot of money and the mafia was happy. That I feel like is the fundamental central point of how all of this stuff works, which is that you give, in the best case scenarios, you give an artist some parameters. Oh yeah, we like this article about this weird story. Why don't you make a movie about it? And then they come back with their personalized shit. And then the money people go, what the fuck is this personalized garbage? And then the audience loves it. That's like the best case scenario. I've just compared the MCU to Water Power, one of the most uh, yeah. notorious porn movies of all time, by the way. Um, uh, great, great film. The director of that movie emailed me and told me I'm one of the only people that understood his movie. <laughs> Sean Costello. Uh, this stars the great Jamie Gillis. Um, and they use the... Um, they use the music from the movie Sisters as the soundtrack to the to the movie. It's a porn film with the soundtrack to Sisters, the De Palma movie over yeah. it. It's, it's 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 like Taxi Driver. It's like it's a crazy movie. Keep going, keep going. Just <laughs> let's just keep talking about this instead of what we're supposed to be talking about. Anyway, I think that that's how this, these systems work, and they always have. I think is when the best Marvel movies happen is when they come up to the person like a James Gunn and say, "We need to have this, this, and this in this movie, and everything else in between you can fill in," and they have the ability to work with that and also bring a strong personal vision to it, and that's when it really, really, really works. And so I think that Scorsese understands that. I don't think he doesn't doesn't understand that. I think no, that I, I don't think it's a matter of him not understanding that. I think it's a matter of him not working in that system, and you know, not on, like not thinking about it in that fashion because he hasn't worked in that system since 1971. That's a long ass time. Yeah, I guess. But I think you that know. once you do that, you know how that shit works. I mean, you know, um, it's something where it's like I know how that works, and then if you do it again, you're like, oh, I forgot about these pieces of it. Like, oh, there's all these little elements and parts and pieces and, and things that go on into a collaborative effort. At any rate, I think that the whole thing is, um, the whole thing is, uh, dopey. It's like a, not, not, not this question, but the whole Scorsese thing, it keeps coming back to that again and again yes. and again and again. It's yeah. overblown. And, and, I, and the claims now that Disney is bullying Scorsese. It's crazy. I find quite funny. It's like, crazy. I don't think Disney's paying attention to it either. I don't think they care. It's crazy. I don't think I don't think Kevin Feige's staying up at night like, oh, my movie made a billion dollars, but Scorsese said it's a park. Like, I don't think he cares. All right, here's another question from Shane. This is a text question from Shane. I'm lukewarm on the new The Batman. It's weird as the trailer looks capital G great, but I'm not just I'm just not that excited for it. I've seen Devin and some other critics such as Vern Drew at all say similar. Are we done with darkly with dark broody and husky voice Batman? Is it time for a Batman 69 style resurgence? Uh, 66. Well, the Batman 69 could be a lot of fun, though. Yes. Maybe that's that is the porn version. Now Devin's <laughs> going to talk about that for 20 minutes. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, there is uh, there the is, wild yes. world of yes. Batwoman. Uh, color, yeah. comedy, and maybe even something smart and witty to say about the world. Why are we so tired of this kind of Batman, and what tone or style would you like to see this franchise adopt in the future? So that's so the, the new The Batman trailer came out. They, uh, they're they aggressively telling us it's called The Bat and the Cat trailer. They're aggressively yes. saying it's The Bat and the Cat. Yes. Jumping um, on that Tom King money. What did you What did you think about this trailer? I I like the trailer. It's my favorite of the trailer so far. 
And what I liked about the trailer was there's a lot of Batman and Commissioner Gordon walking through hallways with flashlights. I was like, that's fun. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm all for – if if the movie is Batman and Commissioner Gordon working together solving crimes, I'm all for that. That's great. That's we, – we don't really see that very often in these movies. But I definitely agree that I am tired of grim and gritty Batman. You know, I, I would love to see more of a uh, Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams Batman movie where he's maybe – traveling the world and like dealing with like weird stuff. That'd be fun. I think that'd yeah, be a good time. I, I think that's exactly what I want. I want the Neil Adams Batman. I want the hairy chested Batman. I want yeah. the, I want the like, like I mean, related to Indiana Jones, Batman. Like there's a reason why all this time later, Batman, the animated series, the Bruce, Tim, Paul Dini, uh, Glenn Markowski, I believe was the other main guy behind it. Uh, series is still so loved is because it gives you all the different parts of Batman. And obviously a movie can't be like he's going to fight Man-Bat for 20 minutes and then he's going to run over and fight the Joker. Like that's too much. But why not have a Man-Bat movie? Why not a Clayface movie? Or, you know, like go – like have fun with it. Stop using the same five villains. He's got a huge rogues gallery. Let's mix it up there. And then have fun with it. Have him travel outside of Gotham. Have him do different stuff. Get real adventure with it. Get get real Indiana Jones with it. I think it would be fun. Yeah, I do think it would be fun. I, I that that is that is what I would like to see. I would like to see a Batman story in the movies where it takes him on a global quest. We've seen bits of that, obviously, in these movies. Like he's gone yeah. to Singapore and stuff like that, and he's been to Rachel Gould's Himalayan training, whatever. But like, I want more of that. Like, I want to see the movie, you know, do a lot of that as opposed yes. to just like here's a sequence where he's here and here's a sequence where he's there. Um, that feels like a, something we're missing, and I do think that also something more fantastical is what we're also missing. I think that's the other piece that we've never yeah, had. It? <laughs> well, Ace the Bat Hound got to show up. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just like there are there are so many opportunities for different kinds of Batman stories over the yeah. years, and we keep zeroing in on the same kind. Now, this movie looks great. I, I have, much like Shane, I think the trailer looks great. Like, it looks like a really great take on Batman. I wish this had been a take on Batman that we got 15 years ago. Yes. As opposed to now, after having so many other takes on Batman that are kind of frankly just a little bit in the same vein. Yes. Something else I would highly recommend if you want a fun Batman story, Batman Universe uh, is a recent story. It's by um, Brian Michael Bendis and, oh God, I can't remember the artist's name. Nick something. I can't remember the artist's name. I feel terrible. It's a great artist. Um but it, it's it's a story where like the Riddler is the main villain of that story too, but Batman ends up traveling through like space and time and like like him and Green Lantern end up uh, in like uh, uh, on Dinosaur Island and they're hanging out with dinosaurs and that's a lot of fun and then they go back in time and meet Jonah Hex and like it's filled with like stuff I would love to see in a movie in a Batman movie like have him mess around with stuff like that and there's a great moment that has become a meme meme where they're they're on the dinosaur island. And Batman goes, look, a dinosaur. That's so great. And Green Lantern's like, really? You like dinosaurs? He's like, I have a giant dinosaur in my cave. That's <laughs> like, yeah, that's great. Batman loves dinosaurs. That's so much fun. You know? <laughs> uh, Nick Darrington. Nick Darrington. That's the artist. Really great book. Really Nick great story. Nick Darrington. There you go. And uh, it's like 10 issues. It's all been collected. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. I highly recommend it. 
All right, here's a question from Kirby Pulver, who I have known for like 20 years, I think, at this point. Hi, Kirby. Uh, if you're right about there being no need for a Green Goblin in the Tom Holland Spider-Man universe, and I agree with your points, and in a similar way, Doc Ock also seems off the board, where do you think the next movies will go with villains if the two biggest are not available to them? Venom, right? They set up Venom. They set up Venom, yeah. And then now Craven, they're setting up as his own solo movie. Yeah. I don't know if that means that he could show up in an MCU Spider-Man or whatever they're doing. Let's just pretend that whatever movies come out with Spider-Man are going to be MCU moving forward. Let's just pretend that off the top of our heads, sure, right? Like, sure. I don't want to get into the back and forth about whether or not I'll become a, a Sony Universe guy again or, or whatever. Yeah. I think the thing about Spider-Man is that they've hit a lot of the – over the course of the um, – of the eight movies so far, the eight live action movies so far, they've hit a lot of the main villains. They've hit the big ones. I hit most of the big ones, I would say at this point. I mean, especially this last one, they really took in all the ones that had not been done. So, but I do think there's some really interesting places to go with these, with the Spider-Man villains, obviously Venom they're setting up, right? If I were to be doing a Spider-Man movie, the characters who I would be interested in, um, I would be interested, especially after the ending of, no way home. Let's just take it from that status quo without spoiling anything, but within the status quo of the end of no way home, I would go with smaller villains. Yeah. Um, I think a villain like chameleon could be really interesting. Hammerhead. Um, uh, well, you like hammerhead tombstone, like that kind yeah. of mafia. Like, like, like combine all three of them and you have them fighting local mafia guys. Like, you know, and bring in Kingpin, right? Who's originally a yeah. Spider-Man villain. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that those guys would be really, really interesting. Um, I think, and this is going to be a crazy thing to say, and I might get roasted for this, but I think you could do a good Jackal story. And Jackal, you'll remember, is Miles Warren, who was one of Peter's professors in college who did a lot of cloning stuff. Yeah. And, uh, I think that there is now enough under the belt in the Spider-Man universe that like in in Tom Holland movie five, bringing back Robert Downey Jr. or um, or uh, 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 would feel meaningful, yeah. And like as clones, like not like for real, but like as clones to fuck with Peter's head. You're gonna want, you're gonna, you're gonna want to cut that out. <laughs> I am gonna have to go back and cut that out. Aren't I? <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't start with. We're not gonna tell any spoilers, and then. Tossing the spoiler. Fuck, what minute is this? 18.50. Okay, I'm going to have to cut that out. Okay, that's good to know. Okay, okay, good to know. Uh, so that, I think another character who'd be a cool character to do um, is the Hobgoblin. We're not going to yeah, do Green Goblin. Yeah, I don't know you do the Hobgoblin. You do it really easily, which is that you have um, somebody within universe just somehow get their hands on something like a piece of the green goblin serum or something like that, that was left behind in the course of the battle and do that. But then I think what's cool about the hobgoblin in the comics was that his identity was a secret. Yes. And I think that's the other piece that could be fun would be to have a villain in the Spider-Man movies who would be a secret. That would be like a real blast. Um, and then there's other sort of personal characters that I would really like to see them do. Um, like he's not a great character, but Molten Man, I think, is a pretty interesting one. Um, yeah. And uh, there's a couple of other, the other number one character that I want them to do, and they have teased him in the past, and we've never seen him. Manwolf. Oh yeah. Well, isn't he getting his own? Oh no, it's a Werewolf by Night's getting his own. Werewolf by Night getting his own, right? Yeah. So, but Manwolf, J. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson's son, who's an astronaut who turns into a werewolf when he touches this cursed moon rock, 
<laughs> like that's a pretty good character. Like, and, yeah. and, and I think he's fun. And I think, I don't know what your story is with that necessarily, but you know, he was in the Spider-Man Raimi movies. And I don't know if they yes. were building towards man wolf or not. They were just yeah, using the character. So. I think they were just using the character. That's uh, my guess. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, he's got, you know, and then, um, and then, you know, there's, uh, another character named spot. Who's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, he creates portals. Uh, and then of course, this is a tough character, I think to do properly. Um, especially after the thematic elements of no way home, but, um, sin eater is one of the great underused Spider-Man villains. Yes. I love sin eater. Um, and sin eater is a, uh, is a dude who runs around killing people and kills people close to Spider-Man in the course yeah. of the story and really puts Spider-Man over the edge. But the other character who I think they need to bring into the MCU in general anyway um, is Puma. I agree, actually. Yeah, I love Puma. He, I don't even think he shows up in the comics anymore, does he? He hasn't shown up in a minute. And he's a cool character. He's a Native American character, so not a lot of Native American. I don't think there's any Native American characters in the MCU right now. Uh Hello. Oh, Maya. Maya. Echo. Yeah, you're yeah. right. She's the one Native American character. Yeah, She's got newest, that covered. That's handled. The newest character. Uh, the two. There's two great MC Marvel Universe Native American characters who have not shown up because they did do what's his name Thunderbird in one of the X Men movies, but uh, it's going to be Puma, who I like a lot. He's like a very rich guy, and he also turns into a Puma man. Yes. Um. So he's got and, like a and, lot. And of, he was destined to kill the Beyonder, wasn't he? Wasn't he was in the too? comics destined to kill yeah. the Beyonder, and Spider Man fucked it up. Yeah. Uh, the other great one is Forge from the X Men. Yes. And his superpower is that he can build anything. Yes. Um, and he's super cool. And he's one of my favorite characters. And he's never been in anything. Uh, he's in action. one of the X-Men movies. Is he one of the X-Men movies? Yeah. Is he like running around in the background or something? Yeah, he's in there for like one of those like two-second deals. Anyway, like I Puma, I would – Maybe. I would like to see Puma a lot because I think also there's a really interesting thing where because of the um, – because of the nature of Puma uh, and and his whole deal and that he is sort of a, a more well-off dude um, uh, and uh, he's like a CEO and stuff like that, do him as like – I don't want to say evil Tony Stark, but like yeah. have him show up in that same mentor relationship and then he and Spider-Man go head-to-head to, head to yeah. sort of show Peter's growth from the guy who needs the mentor to the guy who stands on his own. Puma's not really a bad guy. Puma no. is like a – he is very often a antagonist of Spider-Man, but he's not yeah. like a bad guy. I mean we're probably going to get Black Cat sooner. Right? I can't believe we've gotten this long with the movies and we have not gotten Black Cat. That's shocking to me. Mm. You know? Well, you know, they, they were setting that up in Amazing Spider-Man too. They were, yes. And um, then and then I personally – this is not going to happen, I, I don't think. But I would love to see the storyline assassination plot turned into a movie where Spider-Man is hanging out with Silver Sable and Captain America and they're traveling the world. The thing is that they've been, Sony's been trying to do Silver Sable and Black Cat as their own movie, Black and Silver or Silver and Black. So I don't know what the story with those characters is. Okay. Like those are, Sony's trying to pull these characters out and create a Spider-Man universe with all these side characters. Without Spider-Man. Without Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know 100% what the deal with like the ability to use Silver Sable or Black Cat is at the moment. Yeah. But Black Cat feels like a good character considering the new status quo at the end of No Way Home with sort of a more wide open field of characters to work from. Yes. Yeah. Bringing, bringing Felicia in makes a lot of sense. Do you want to hear another so. voicemail? Yeah, let's go for it. Hi, long time listener, first time caller, 10th person making that joke. 
Um, I'm just curious that two Xers, uh, pretty close in birth years, ended up on different sides of the Marvel DC divide. And I was curious um, how you guys, like, ended up there. Um, Devin, I, 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 I know the usual thing is that uh, Marvel is, like, more soapy, more, more human level, and uh, DC for Derek is more, like, archetypal. But it's like it's not that DC can't be soapy and that Marvel is the archetypal. And I was just curious if you guys would talk a little bit about how you ended up where you are. And um, in particular, over this past year and even going before, how – Marvel has been eating DC's lunch so thoroughly from getting Thanos across the line before Darkseid and from the whole last year with Marvel Vision and all of the multiverse stuff. If you guys would speak to that a little bit, I'd like to hear it. Thank you. How did we end up as as um, the brothers divided? Like just like just like the U.S. Civil Civil War, <laughs> brother against brother. <laughs> I think I I don't know I for me. In the 90s, in the late 90s, I, I was really into Marvel and DC up until the late 90s or mid 90s. And in the mid 90s, to me, Marvel tried way harder to to turn itself into image. And I fell off. There was too many X-Men stuff. Like it was like everything was X-Men. Everything was Wolverine. And it, it pulled me away where DC was doing their big stories. That, I mean, they had Death of Superman, Batman's back and broken and all that. But like it was less it wasn't constant crossovers then where marvel was getting into constant crossovers at that point and and like getting extreme like do you remember like the avengers costumes from like the mid 90s where they all were wore leather jackets for some reason like, <laughs> yeah. you know and like thor had a bunch of spikes all over him all of a sudden and all that kind of stuff and i was like i don't like this i didn't like any of that and that pulled me away from marvel and i jump into marvel every now and then. i like I really liked Dan Slott's uh, Superior Spider-Man run. I thought that was fantastic. And and I jump into Marvel stuff every now and again. And even like DC, I jump in and out of these days, you know, depending on what's happening. Like New 52, I was out. I just couldn't deal with New 52. And I've gone back and I've read the Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, Batman run, which is really good. And I've read some other stuff, but New 52 just didn't do it for me. Rebirth brought me back in for a while. Um, and I mean... The, I think the big thing for me with DC was the Giffen Demetis Justice League and the Bill Loeb's Flash because they were both – when people talk about DC and they talk about the big godlike figures, both of those books were the opposite of that. You know, like Giffen Demetis Justice League was a bunch of goofballs screwing everything up and in the Flash, Bill Loeb had the Flash being homeless and you know living on his mom's couch and stuff. It was a very different kind of deal. And that those have always drawn me. Yeah, I mean, so I when I was a little kid, I think I mean I've just always loved Spider-Man. Spider-Man has always been like my guy. And so that's I think some part of it for me. Um, but when I was a kid, I did not like the DC comics that were published when I was young. Um, and then when I got a little bit older into like when I say young, I mean young, like when I was making my mom buy them for me at seven yeah. 11 or getting three packs of comics at Toys R Us in a plastic, in a, in a plastic uh, thing, we wouldn't know what the third comic was. Remember yeah. those? Yeah. I <clears throat> got a lot of comics that way back in the day. Cause they're like 99 cents for three comics or something yeah. like that. Whatever, whatever was like a very reasonable price for three comics back then. 
But then two things happen. I began to, as I really liked Marvel and I was really into Spider-Man and I was really into the X-Men and I was really into both of those for actually one of the reasons mentioned in the call, which is that it was the soap opera nature of it. I really fell into the worlds of these characters and followed their history and their stories. And I got very excited about that stuff. And Chris Claremont specifically on X-Men was like a holy grail. Like a, it was, it was the, the scripture to me of, of how comic book stories should be told was Chris Claremont yeah. on the X-Men. And I loved it. Um, then the new Teen Titans came and the new Teen Titans were really exciting to me as well. Right. I thought that was also similarly exciting to me. Um, I got back into DC. I, so I was never super into DC in this point. New Teen Titans I was into. Um, I was into the Legion of Superheroes. I like their outfits and their looks and stuff like that. And then when Crisis came, I collected all of Crisis as it came out. And again, I'm a kid at this point. This is 86. So I'm born in 73, late 73. So I'm like 12. Uh, right. So um, I buy Crisis as it comes out. I get really excited about the jumping on point. I stick with DC for a really long time early in the crisis. And post-crisis, I collect all the Superman titles, all the Triangle cover titles. I'm there for those day of release throughout Justice League, JLI, all that stuff. What happened to me with DC is that in this period, I really loved it. I was really into it. And I really thought that DC was winning in terms of storytelling and stuff. I thought it was really doing a great job. And especially that Superman, the four Triangle, the Triangle cover Superman era was for me like the ultimate Superman era. Like I love picking up one Superman comic a week and it's one story going through all the titles like that was my dream like i know for some people that's bad or or they don't like it but i loved it it was incredible to me and it wasn't even one story but it'd be like in this week's superman something from an uh, action would be uh referenced. like each book had a different focus but they all flowed through the same path which right good, you know. and I, I love that but then um dc started uh chasing the crisis high Yes, And so for me, what I love is the complicated history and the complicated stories. And once DC kept trying to shed those, it lost me fully. Like, I I don't know if I can ever come back in a meaningful way. Yeah. Because there's two things that I don't like about it. One is I don't like shedding all the meaningful backstory. I love the backstory. I love discovering the backstory. I love going into the backstory. There's this podcast that I like called Cerebro where this guy has guests on and they'll spend like three hours talking about an X-Men side character. And you can do that because these characters have had stories going on for 35 years. Yeah. And so you try to follow these stories as if they were a real story as opposed to people writing characters in and just doing what they need to do with them. And that's like a lot of fun. It's like really cool to like look at the story from the point of view of what if this is a person's real life. Yes. You know? And it's like you can't do that with DC. But you you know what's funny is you got into DC with them – erasing their backstory right because it gave me the platform to get in and there was this promise there was this promise that it was a new this was the era of new universes right i mean that was part of it um so there was this promise of a good jumping on point to follow this universe moving forward and then they just kept erasing it and then when they kept bringing it back they just kept rehashing the same stories again and again and again which just was not appealing to me i love the old stories but i don't want them to keep getting told again and again and again and that was, I think, what really turned me off from DC in a big way, um, is realizing that they were just going to keep rebooting it. And then every time they rebooted it, they were going to sort of tell the same story again, no matter what, because some of these stories are so iconic, they have to have them in continuity. Yeah. I mean, and that, that's, for, that, that's the thing. I mean, for me, a, a big thing as I've gotten older is I'm less interested in the overall universe and more interested in the storyteller. If I, you know, if it's a good writer, and they're telling a good story. I'm going to read it, you know, like, but I'm not going to, I'm not obsessive about it anymore. I'm not like, well, I've got to, I've got to see everything that the flash shows up in. So I know what's happening with the flash wherever he is, because it's, 
it doesn't matter. They're going to erase it in five years. So what does it matter? But I'll read a story like, like I really like Tom King. I like uh, Brian Bendis. I, you know, I'll read their stories. I'll, I'll read anything. They, and I read, I read most of Bendis's Marvel work as well. Um, you know, it, it's just a matter for me. It's a bit more about the right Mark Wade. Another one. I'm very, Mark Wade's doing a uh, world's finest series in 2022. I'm very excited for that. See him doing Superman and Batman and Batman's wearing a blue and gray suit with a yellow oval on, on his chest. I'm very excited for that because that's just a lighter Batman. And, you know, we'll see. But to me, it's become much more about what the story is. Well, I agree. So I am half and half. I like the story to be good. I like to follow individual writers in particular. I know I'm, I'm a heathen, and you're supposed to say that the artist is as important, and the artist is very important, but I kind of don't follow artists the way that I follow writers, Yeah. Um, which I know, again, is a heathen thing to say. I know it's the wrong thing to say. Um, but I think that um, I the nature of the world today allows me to keep up with the Marvel Universe without having to read every Marvel comic, and I like that about it. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like Wikipedia and like Marvel Unlimited offer me the opportunity to figure out the stories. Yeah. So I don't have to actually keep up, but I like I like knowing what's going on more yeah. or less. Yeah. And I like to dive yeah. in every now and again and really just catch up a bit. And then, you know, that's the thing. I don't I what do I need to do? I need to buy a fucking tablet. Because yes. the experience of reading comics on my phone is not satisfying. No, I love reading it on my on my tablet. It's great because you can do the full page and what do you what kind of tablet do you use? I have a iPad. Oh, so you got an expensive tablet. I guess, yeah. I mean, the iPad costs like hundreds of dollars. I was looking at like the Fire tablet, which is like $99. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those are good too. I've had those. All right. Time for another Wait, question. Would you, just real quick too. One thing that's great though is the DC Universe Infinite and Marvel Unlimited where they just have everything up there and it's like 10 bucks a month. Fantastic. Like – you can't go wrong with that. You have thousands, hundreds of thousands of comics at your fingertips with those yeah, apps, and it's wonderful. I love them both so much. All right, here's a question from Nick Simone. Hey, guys, my questions would be, what are your thoughts on recasting in the MCU? I am of the belief that the characters are far bigger than any one actor, but maybe that's a result of me being a comic book reader, since so many others seem to disagree, at least general audience members. Yes, we all love Bozeman, but I find it such a shame that this major comic character, T'Challa, only ever got to appear in four movies, and we'll never get to see him evolve. I also can't imagine Bozeman would be that excited that a character he worked hard to bring to life and who meant so much to so much of the audience will now be put to rest. No one really batted an eye when Rhodey and Banner were recast. I even find it strange that so many people seem to be dying for Jackman to come back as Wolverine instead of seeing a new MCU interpretation. Again, maybe it's a comic book reader thing, but I'd rather have them recast characters who can live on in the movies. It's like when a new artist starts on a book and he imagines the character through their lens. Back in the day, didn't audiences threaten to not watch Bond movies again if, if Connery left? Now look where we are. Seven Bonds later, the franchise continuing. Seems like audiences are not seeing the big picture. I feel like not recasting is a misplacement of royalty that doesn't do us any favors. I mean, every Batman casting is met with death threats. Right. You know, um, but I agree. I, I think I think it's dependent. Like, I think if you can do a full, with Marvel at least, and we'll see how long the MCU continues for, but if you can do a full story and end it with the character and the same actor, great. Like, Chris Evans was Steve Rogers, and that's done. And we've moved on to now uh, – uh, Anthony Mackie is taking over the role as Captain America and he's a different, you know, but he's playing as it's Sam Wilson. I think that's great. I love that idea of like the generational thing, which is also to harken back a little bit. That's one of the things I used that really got me in DC early on too, was the generational aspect right. of it. Yeah. You I love that. Like that. I do. I do. 
Except I don't love it with Spider-Man. I think there's too many Spider-Man characters. <laughs> there are. There's just too many. Like there's like 50 different people calling themselves Spider-Man these days. I like Miles Morales, but I think you know, and and I like uh, uh, Gwen Stacy Spider, which I think she's called Ghost Spider. I'm not even sure what name she goes by. But like when there's like 90 of them running around, it's like this is too much. And Spider-Man shouldn't be doing multiverse stuff in my opinion. But that's weird because two of his best movies are multiverse movies. But anyway, um, yes, yeah, I. I agree. I mean, I think the the Bozeman thing's a sticky situation because yes. his death was so sudden and so damaging to our psyches. Like it was really hard. It was really well, this tough. This is this is something I think about a lot. Is I mean, a there was no reason for them to tell us, right? I mean, that's a personal, private thing. But they keep saying like they've. I've read that it was like Marvel was shocked. When yeah, they he didn't died. tell Marvel. Yeah, which that seems weird to me. Is that you want to be like none of my business? I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I think that it it seems weird to me in in a sense of like, I I I would think with with what you need to do to get like uh, insurance on a film and stuff, and it would come up like they'd be like, hey, just get a physical. You don't get that deep thing. I thought I see. I would think they. I thought they go deeper. I don't think they go deeper. I I think they do a basic physical. Like you're gonna have a heart attack on this movie now. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Um. I, you know, having, having a partner who is a cancer patient, I understand, um, and having experienced the world of cancer for a couple of years now, I do understand that, um, some people don't like to talk about it and some people, especially it's a very private thing. I I think especially there are some people who, um, not just don't want to talk about it, but maybe, um, keep a very positive outlook to the extent where they not, not necessarily acknowledging that they might not make it sure. to the end of the year. And that does feel a little bit like what might've been happening here. Yeah. I don't want to speculate too much. It's none of our business. No. It's nobody's exactly. business. The, the only thing that matters is that it was a shock and it was very upsetting to everybody. Yes. Like it was yeah. very upsetting it's to a great loss to the, to the world of film. Yeah. And so I think that the, the it's a, it makes it a sticky situation in that situation, in that scenario, because this is a guy that was a suddenly taken and that, um, uh, it just feels really weird to immediately recast him because they were going to get to work on the movie at the time pretty quickly. It's now been years, yeah. but yeah. at the time they were going to get to work on it pretty quickly. I think if they had known that they were going to have a few years before they needed to make, get this movie going, they might have done the recasting because it might have felt less ghoulish. Yeah, I think it felt ghoulish in the immediate aftermath. Honestly, yeah. If it was like uh, two weeks later, they're like, "Here's the new Black Panther." It'd be like, "Hey, man!" But they were delivering the script when he died. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. Like, they were very much in the early stages of getting this production going, and yeah. then he died. So it, I think it felt ghoulish at the time. Yes. And I think that I think that now a little bit of distance from it, I think we all would actually prefer that they recast. I think that. Well, we I like mean, that. his his brother has come out and said that they should recast. And right, you know, um, I, I, that 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 Chadwick felt that the role was bigger than him, that the character was bigger than him. It meant more than just one person. And I agree with that. I think, I think much like, you know, I mean, Christopher Reeve is always going to be who I think of as Superman, but you can't, Christopher Reeve can't be Superman forever. Yeah. But Christopher (laughs) didn't get killed right before making a Superman movie. I mean, I just think it's, it's just different. I don't think that they made a decision based on like, we're not going to recast in the MCU. I think they made a decision based on this feels really gross right now to to do this. And we are hurting too much to even consider replacing him. And I think we have to move past him. And then three years go by and you go, you know what? I think we actually could have replaced him. (laughs) Three years go by. And the person that you figure you're going to put the, the whole project on is like, I'm anti-vax and say bad things on the internet. And you're like, Oh, now, as for other characters within the MCU, I think there's plenty of room to recast. I think that it's a possibility. I think one of the problems becomes different from James Bond is that because these are um, 
long-form storytelling that are spread out across a number of movies, it becomes a little bit tricky because we're asking the audience to suspend their disbelief over the course of these movies. And then changing people out becomes a little bit can be difficult sometimes. And so that's a stumbling block. But I do think that like, let's pretend that Tom Holland does not want to come back for Spider-Man four. I think they'll just cast a new guy and I I think it'll be fine. And I think we'll all just accept it. And I think it'll be okay. I think it becomes a little more complicated with certain characters. Like let's say Wanda. Yes. Because Wanda's not famous. No. And that's really connected to that actress in a big way. So like if all of a sudden she didn't want to come back, um, that might be like a little bit of a weird thing. Yeah. But I guess we'll find out. And I mean, the beauty of Marvel from that standpoint is there's endless characters. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and they've shown that you don't need a big name character to make a big name movie. Like we, you know, as long as it's well done and it's got the Marvel brand on it, people will come to like the character more than likely. Like, there's not one character in Guardians of the Galaxy that 99.9% of the audience knew before they went to see that movie. Right. Right. And it's huge. All yeah, of a sudden, Rocket and Groot are gigantic. Right. And don't count out the Eternals. I mean, like those are characters that are going to come back and other things and they're going to they're going to make you like them. Like it's yes. going to happen. Like I hope so because I want a sequel. Uh, yeah, no, I, um, I mean, I, I, I like the movie. I like the characters, but I mean, like just in terms of like that, not being one of the more popular ones, it's yeah. not going to matter. They'll make those characters, but they, they know how to do that. They're pretty yes. good yeah. at that. Okay. Let's do another text and then do a voicemail. Okay. Um, oh, there's more comments. Oh my God. There's 49. 49. I didn't realize there's this many. I'm going to go back to the very top then because, um, Tom King's Mr. Miracle was one of the greatest stories I've ever read. I think it would make an incredible limited series TV show. Are there any dream projects you would love to see adapted? This is a dream project, so don't worry about keeping consistent with current continuity or anything like that. In the same vein, are there any superhero projects that were announced but fell through that you were really excited about? Uh, I I honestly, there are two DC properties, and I'm honestly shocked have not been made into something. And that's uh, Human Defense Corps, where the United States military invades hell which I think is genius, a genius concept. And also um, the Kents, which tells the story of the Civil War from the point of view of the Kent family of Superman. Like, no superpowers, it's just the Kents in Kansas during bloody Kansas and then separating during the Civil War and everything that happens. And I think that would make a really interesting, like, prestige miniseries for, like, HBO Max or something. So piggyback that off the Yellowstone prequel show. Yes, Exactly. Yeah, people well, love Civil War stories. 1883, the Kents. Like, you could cut out the the Superman bookends of that story, and it's still just a very good, interesting story about a family torn apart by the Civil War as they, they choose sides, you know, and, and dealing with bloody Kansas and all that. Like, it's very interesting stuff. Or bleeding Kansas, not bloody Kansas, bleeding Kansas. Jesus Christ. But, and, yeah, and uh, Human Defense Corps. Um I was really, really excited for the Flash movie when it was when John Delaney and his partner were going to write and direct it because I felt like that they would bring a lot of fun to it. And now they're gone. Although they still get story credit, so who knows? Um, my dr- two dream projects uh, that I would like to see one almost happened and didn't. I think that uh, the new Warrior show that was being um, developed and yeah, the pilot okay. was shot up, I think was going to be incredible. I think it was yeah. going to be really, really good. And that's really a bummer. But my other dream project uh, kind of just got announced. What's that? 
Yeah, uh, Legion of Superheroes. Oh yeah, Legion of Superheroes animated series. And yeah. they're doing it as an adult animated series, which yes. in this case I don't think means like they're going to keep saying the f bomb. No, but it uh, means Brian Michael Bendis was very clear on this. He was he's like that means that we can do things like the Great Darkness Saga and five years later. Like this is meant for an older audience, but it's not. It's right, not so like it's the not, really, you know, the, like really class, the really classic Paul Levitt stories are sort of older audience stories. Yeah. They're they're about the they're about the the Legion and they're in their late twenties. A lot of those stories, and yeah. that's like my dream project. It has been for years. Legion of Superheroes. I, I've long thought if if you got the Wachowskis to do a Legion of Superheroes movie, it would be amazing. But I do not think it would be good. No, I think it'd be no. Crazy. I don't think I don't. I, I I want somebody with more a different sensibility to do that. Yeah. I want a, a more straight ahead sensibility for that, frankly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Cause I think that there's like, I think there's like a lot of really great G whiz elements to it, but I want like the basic meat and potatoes of the soap opera to remain intact. That's what I'm yeah. really interested in. Um, so those are like my two dreams. I mean, the new warriors that was being developed, um, it was going to be really, really, really great. And I think it was a really good cast and I think it was going to be really fun. And I think that we need, I, I want to see that kind of sitcom in the MCU. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of any other like sort of like really dream. I'm, on the Marvel side, I'm really, I'm getting really upset that there's still no Quasar. Like it just doesn't make sense to me that Quasar is not showing up. It's insane to me. Well, it's funny. I, at this point, I like anything can happen and any of these characters can show up in the next couple of years. So like, that's the other piece of the Marvel stuff is that I'm just like, well, I'm sure, I'm sure it'll happen eventually. Yeah. Um, no, I'm sure it will. But it's like, like to me, it's like, how have the quantum bands not showing up? This is crazy. Cause surely within, I, within 10 years, we're going to have like the star brand is going to be out there. <laughs> like, you know, like they're going to go all out, but it's just amazing to me. Like the Quasar has not popped up yet. I and mean, maybe he'll show up in Guardians Three. I don't know. Um, all right, let's do another. Uh, let's do another voicemail. You ready? Yeah. Hey guys, this is Adam Atika, listener from Northwest Ohio. Um, love the podcast. Love the longer form podcast as well with Watchmen. I'm the the crazy person that likes to listen to your guys' discussion while I'm running a half marathon here in the cold weather. Um, couple questions. One, what are your guys' origin stories? How did Devin, you end up in L.A., and, and Derek, how did you end up in Michigan? And two, what Marvel project, whether Disney Plus show, animation, movie, are you most looking forward to in 2022? Thanks, guys. Another one where it was slow at first. I don't know. This this system that we're using maybe is flawed. I don't know. It didn't sound slow to me at first. didn't sound slow to you? I heard you didn't no. hear his, 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 his speed change? I didn't notice anything. No, no maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, how did I end up in LA? So I ended up in LA because I had been living in New York City most of my life. And I lived in New York City most of my life, and I had lived briefly in a couple different places. As a kid, we lived in Illinois for a little while. And then as an adult, I lived in upstate New York for a little while. And then I was back in New York for a bunch of years. And I was working at a job at a nonprofit. And also I was working at Chud. I was doing like, I was working for free. I wasn't even working. I was volunteering at Chud because I was unpaid. And my career began taking off in the writing stuff, in the, in the Chud stuff. I was writing at this nonprofit, but that was like whatever. There's no money in that, obviously. <clears throat> There's also no money in this other stuff. There's no money in any of this. But um, I had hit a point where I was flying out to LA all the time for work stuff. 
and I had to figure out how to tell my day job that I was going to LA all the time. And so I quit my day job. I was making just enough money now from Chud. It had gone up to the point where I was making just enough money that I could work for Chud full time. And then I said to myself, well, there's, you know, I'm going to LA all the time. I constantly going to LA and I have friends in LA who are doing junkets and movie screenings that we don't get in New York. We just don't get any of this stuff. And they're getting to see movies early and they have access to things I don't have access to. They're like just able to like get a phone call from a director and go to the lot and just do a thing. And so I said, I, I, I need to move. And the decision making for me was that as somebody who grew up in New York City and lived in New York City, I had made fun of all my life of people who never left their little small towns. I had always had a really condescending attitude about that. And then I was like, fuck, I'm one of those people because I'm still living in my town, my hometown. Like I've never left my hometown significantly. And so I knew I needed to either live in LA or London. Those are the only two places I could at that time in my life envision myself living in. That's different now. But back then I wanted a big city and I didn't want to live in Chicago, which is too cold to live as a human being. And so I decided LA. It made the most sense for work. It made the most sense for me deciding that I wanted to get out of my my hometown and 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 spread my wings. And that was like 15 years ago, and I've been here ever since. And now I'm looking at places to leave and go live in a small town. That's like my journey as a human being. And now I'm like, huh? What if I did live in a small town? How about you, Derek? What's your origin of getting to Michigan? Uh, my origin of getting to Michigan is after college. Me and a couple of friends decided we were all going to move to LA to become big Hollywood people. And when that didn't work out, we ended up becoming video game people. We started working in video games. And uh, I worked in at Activision for a number of years, me and uh, my buddy Than. And then uh, Than left and started his own company, his own game company. And a couple of years into that, he got hit up by the state of Michigan saying, hey, we've got this entertainment uh, tax break you should come here and open up a studio. And Than said, hey, why don't you come with me and open up the studio? And I said, sure, why not? And we moved to Michigan, and we opened up a studio, and we made a couple of games, and then the state of Michigan refused to give us the tax break, so we sued the state of Michigan, and we won the lawsuit, and they appealed, and we won the lawsuit, and we, they appealed, and we won the lawsuit, and they appealed, and then we won, and it was finally over, and they had to pay us, but all the money that they had to pay us, we had to pay the lawyers. So we had to shut down the company. <laughs> we lost everything and uh i'm still in michigan but i've come to really i love michigan i like michigan a lot so it's not like i'm sad to be in michigan i enjoy it here but uh, that's how i ended up in michigan that those those are our secret origin stories yeah. that's 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 how that's how we got that's how we got where we're where we are now um here's one from barrison ford What's your pitch for introducing the mutants into the MCU? And if that's too broad, what do you want them to do? What do you want them not to do? And what do you feel like they need to do? Uh, so I, my pitch for introducing the mutants into the MCU is just have them pop up. Yeah. That's it. Just have them pop up. They just start popping up. And I would have them start popping up as young people um, would be my take on it. And I would just – take all of it and just move it forward 50 years. So instead of it being mutants start popping up in the sixties, mutants are just popping up in the 2010s. Yeah. And I would, and that, that would be it. Like, I, I don't think I would I, do much more. I mean, I, I feel like what they're going to end up doing at this moment, at least in my brain, they're going to be like, Oh, the blip caused mutants in some fashion. 
And I don't want that. I, I like to move away from the blip. I don't think we need that. I think we just ha- they're just there. You just have Cyclops be seventeen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's as simple as that. Like we just do it like they did in the in the Fox last couple of movies. Yeah, where they cast them young. And I think that's that's the answer. And I think that the other thing is that in the MCU, I think that the mutants actually would still work because there are not that many superpower people in the MCU. No, it's only a handful. It's only a handful, and the mutants, I think, then really feel like they're 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 standing out. Yeah, and I think that that and the, the and the people who are superpowered, I think a lot of them are, are trouble, <laughs> frankly. Yes, and so I think that would also help with the mutant hate. I think that would help. That's always the problem that people bring up is like, well, in Marvel, why do people hate mutants? There's so many superheroes running around, and I have a lot of different answers. Well, to that. I mean, keep in mind from what we've seen in the Marvel universe, people don't like superheroes that much. I mean, that's a whole big part of like the the Sokovia Accords is, hey, you guys keep blowing things up and killing people, so you got to be under watch. And so if you have it now where it's like your neighbor might be, you know, uh, turned into fire, like that would adds a whole new thing, right? I guess. I mean, yeah. Spider, there's Spider-Man hate. We know there's Spider-Man there's hate. There's Spider-Man hate, hate but there's also like a lot of love. I mean, Iron Man's very popular and like these characters, some of these, everybody loves Hawkeye. He's very famous and beloved. You know he's what I not, mean? He's got he's got bad brand. That's the whole point of his. Of well, his no, he doesn't have he doesn't have a, a negative branding. brand. He has a bad brand. Yeah, it's just not a good brand. It's not, but it's not a negative brand. It's just like but he's Wanda, not branding every, every, Surely everybody hates Wanda. She well, but Wanda, that's one of the few, entire city. Right? right. She's Short one of the times. few. She's one of the few superpower people in the MCU currently that people really know about, yeah, and Hulk. she has a negative. She, and so Hulk, right? But I'm saying that so like Captain America and Iron Man and these people they they love, right? It's the there's a few superpower people, and most of them seem to be problems. So I think that would lean into the idea yeah. of the mutants being yeah. you know, mistr- mistrusted as a result. I agree. Uh, so I think, and I think I would just do great more mutant stories. Just do great mutant stories. That that's it. I mean, like, and I would also uh, shy away from the modern take on it. And by modern, I mean for the last thirty five years, that um, either that mutants that Professor X and and Magneto are are Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. I would I would avoid that like the plague. Um, I think it's just too limiting, and I think it's been done too many times already. It should at this be point. much more like the Paul brothers. Like Logan Paul. That's exactly. They should be. Movies. They should be YouTube guys. Um, yeah. It's he should be Logan Paul. And What's up, like and subscribe if you want to see me use my powers to lift this spoon. Um, but so I would sort of stay away from that, and I would move back into the mutants being a more generalized metaphor, as opposed to trying to nail them down into any one specific metaphor. Yeah. I think one of the problems modern audiences have is that mutants are shoehorned into specific metaphors which they can function as but i think it's important they maintain a larger more generalized metaphor of just adolescence and feeling outcast and different from people as opposed to being a one-to-one for you know this oppressed group or this oppressed sexuality or whatever those that should be folded into it but i think that um a broadness of of the metaphors is vital and i think it was what made the mutants work over the yeah, time they, they, they were for any outcasts right and yeah. then the other piece i think that you just make sure that you're telling human stories with these characters that you're not just telling stories about um blowing up things but yeah. that you know this is the thing i talked about a million times make sure they're playing softball yes that's, that's, and no that's, Dark Phoenix. Don't do Dark Phoenix. Yeah, we don't need Dark Phoenix. You know, it's a fine story. It's not a great story. We can move beyond it. There's so many other great X-Men stories to tell that we don't need a third Dark Phoenix movie in 20 years. Jeff Burnett asks, how did Doc Ock know Norman Osborn was the Green Goblin in No Way Home? Don't tell Harry meant no one could ever know. He's a smart motherfucker. 
that's it. He's a smart motherfucker, right? He recognized some Osborne technology and put two and two together, right? And then yeah. so the Green Goblin disappeared and Norman Osborne died at the exact same time. No, Norman Osborne, Green Goblin disappeared. Norman Osborne died from having a glider through his chest. <laughs> <laughs> he pieced it together. Yeah. Um, no, I don't know. It's the same as Electro. Who knows? It doesn't, it's not, you know, it's fine. Jordan Barnes says, what do you think of fans calling for an Amazing Spider-Man 3 on Twitter recently? Does every old nerd thing eventually become beloved by the fandom, or did these movies actually resonate with audiences? Is all is it all just inertia from Garfield's appearance in No Way Home? I find it utterly baffling and would love to hear you two weigh in. I think often of the line from the movie Gross Point Blank, you can never go home again, but you can shop there. And that's what I feel like these kinds of things are, is people forget it wasn't good. Like it was not a good deal. So no, we don't need another Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie. It's fine. It's time to move on. We don't need, I I don't want to see Hugh Jackman as Wolverine again. I love that Hugh Jackman got his 20 years and he ended his story and it's beautiful. That's good. Like, well, it's not, I mean, most of those movies are terrible, but (laughs) like, like (laughs) it's a full complete circle. It's like, good. That's done. I don't need to see him show up again. I don't need to see these like, like seeing, excuse me, Seeing Maguire and Garfield in Spider-Man was really good. I don't need them to keep showing up. I'm fine if they go away now. Right. You know. I'm all um, that. Yeah, no, I agree. I, the Jackman thing is actually a really good example of this, which relates to a previous question we had asked, been asked, which is that I want to see a new take on Wolverine. That's the thing. Jackman had a take on Wolverine, and that take was influenced by a number of factors, um, including the fact that he's six and a half feet tall yeah. and including the fact that, like, they just yeah, want it's – one hundred percent time for Elijah Wood to be Wolverine. First off, let's be very clear. Uh, they need to bulk make Glenn up. Danzig. Uh, Glenn D- Danzig is too old now. You bulk up Elijah Wood. He's the right height, right? So there you go. I don't think I don't think Elijah has the bloodlust. Um, what are you talking about? Looking at maniac. He's crazy. I, but I but I would like to see a new take on well, Wolverine. So I would like to see that character re- recast. I, I I don't. I think this is about the high of seeing Andrew Garfield do really well. Yes. I think that's the thing. He was so fucking good in No Way Home that yeah. I think everybody's like really jazzed on that. And, and, and so, I don't think anyone watched his Spider-Man movies and were like, he sucks. It was a matter of the movies were no good, and it's it, we all felt a bit of sadness that he didn't get to be in a good Spider-Man movie. And he's also not that good in them. He's fine. Like he's better than the material. I think in them, I don't know that he is. Having just watched Amazing Spider-Man theaters, to be honest with you, so having just watched Amazing Spider-Man two, he is not much better than material, and I think that um, he is a little weird in those movies, and he doesn't have the space to be as charming as he is in uh, No Way Home. Okay, I think that he's a little bit creepy, and I think that he is too emotional in the movies. Okay, all right, here's another voicemail. Hey boys, this is Sal from Cleveland, uh, first time caller, long time listener. Hope you're both doing well. Um, had a question I've been kicking around for a few years. So sort of in the Marvel relational diagram for Marvel films, I think it's kind of understood that these things are largely character first. You know, Marvel has a lot of really great characters, so it's pretty obvious they lean into that. But with plot and themes sort of wrestling for that second and third spot across Marvel and DC, I'll throw Derek a bone here. I'm curious which films you feel like are the most thematically dense and interesting. And this is sort of a continuation of the conversation around the Eternals. Um, maybe an extension of that. So curious what other Marvel or DC films you feel really sort of scratch that thematic itch, um, some of that heavy philosophy stuff that I love. I'm just curious what your thoughts are there. And conversely, which films 
do you feel like are essentially have all character and plot and really have nothing at all to say? All right. Appreciate it, boys. Love the show. I mean, I think the one that has nothing to say is Thor The Dark World, frankly. I think that has the least to say, maybe out of all of them. I think Age of Ultron has so much thematic stuff going on that people yeah. don't recognize because they kind of did not like it when it came out. And now there's a lot of anti-Joss Whedon stuff yeah. going on. I, I think there's a reason why Age of Ultron has become so prominent in the MCU. And it's because it's got so many thematic things going on. and sets up so many things for the characters to, to play off of. Yeah, I mean, it feels really dense and, and yeah. it feels rich and, and, and not just in terms of just like, but like, like what it means to be the Avengers and what it means for them to have different perspectives and all these things. It feels very, very rich to me. Yeah. And I really, really like that movie a lot because of that. It's like a little too long, honestly. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I think I like that one a lot for that. And I think that, you know, what might be like the – the one with the best thematic elements, this is going to be weird to say. I think Eternals has really incredible, chewy thematic elements that I really yes. love. I think that Black Panther has really incredible, chewy uh, elements. The two that I think are really interesting to me are Captain America, the first Avenger, which I think examines uh, concepts of patriotism and bravery that have been discounted in culture and f tries to figure out ways to make them matter again. And I like that very much. And the other one is uh, Doctor Strange. Yes. Um, you know, in terms of it being a movie, <clears throat> when I, I wrote about this at the time, I'm not sure if I ever put this in the Patreon or if it's just those on my Facebook, but Doctor Strange, in Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange goes through the first three or four steps of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay. And, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, it is a movie about a guy in recovery even if he's not technically in recovery in the movie, it's about a guy who hits rock bottom and then builds himself back up and discovers a spirituality and a meaning to the universe that he never had before. Yeah. And there's just so much in that that's so rich and how that comes with his final confrontation with Dormammu and how he resolves that. I think it's just really, really rich. And I think it's really, really smart. And I, I really was hoping that Scott Derrickson might get a chance to continue the trilogy because I would have loved to have seen Dr. Strange over the course of three movies, hit all of the 12 steps of the program. Um, and, uh, I think that would have been like really, really exciting. Not like, because I'm like some kind of like AA, um, some kind of AA, uh, evangelical. Uh, but I think that the 12 it's an steps, interesting path. well, I think the 12 steps offer a really fascinating, um, guide for a, a story. So yeah, these are the first four steps, right? Step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. That happens in the movie, not alcohol, but the, in, in other groups where you're not an alcoholic, you might put like became powerless over yeah. food or became powerless over sex. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to clarity, to sanity. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him and then made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. I think that those things happen in the first Doctor Strange. Yeah. And I think that that's a really interesting thing. And then as it goes on, uh, you know, the idea that like, you know, Strange continues to improve himself and then eventually become the wise master that he always could be, uh, I think would have been a really great arc for that character. I don't know what it's going to be now, you know, but yeah. um, I thought that that was like a really rich thematic element in Doctor Strange. What about I you? Uh, I agree with that. I, I also... I don't like that Doctor Strange is so quippy, but I love that the Doctor Strange movie ends with him finding a, a path of nonviolence to solve the problems. I really love that aspect of it. I think that's a really interesting way to go. Um, 
I don't thematically like n- none of the Marvel movies. I think rely heavily on a thematic through line, like like nothing deep at least. Like Guardians Two is maybe the deepest, and that's just about you know accepting the family that you have and not the family you want, which is a very basic movie setup. And I do think that Spider uh, or uh, No Way Home is a very interesting look at the death penalty in a sense. And I think that that's a, a fun discussion, but none of them have hit me as like. Oh, they're going deep in this. And and like on the DC side, they keep, you know, they keep trying to go deep and they just can't. <laughs> they, just, they do it very poorly. So I, I don't know. Like none of them, when I mean, this falls into the Marvel Scorsese debate. Like none of them hit the, the levels that Scorsese hits when, when Scorsese is like not even really trying, you know, right. like, but I, I don't, I don't think. You know, like like James Gunn fits in his pieces, but he doesn't get to do the full amount he might do, like he would, like he did in like Super, you know, which is a very thematically uh, strong film, I think. You know, but none of them really stand out to me in that fashion. This shows, I think, more. The shows have more room to go thematic. I think uh, WandaVision, obviously, I've already really keyed into the thematics of grief stuff and that and how all that worked. Loki, I think, really keyed in some really good thematics in that too. Um, All right, here's one from Sandro. In light of the recent return of the characters, I would like to hear you guys talk about what specifically you didn't like about Netflix's Daredevil series and what kind of improvements do you hope that a future Kevin Feige-led version of the show will make? Uh, I'll start this one off. I, I think, and, and Beef follows up with also, I'm also curious, Netflix's Daredevil often dismiss the wave of a hand, um, but I also found much to enjoy. Says I'd like to hear you guys' thoughts on the season three version of Bullseye. I did not see the season three of Daredevil because I quit. Um, <clears throat> I don't think you did, right? The last season I watched was when Punisher showed up. I don't know. What season two. I made it yeah. through all of season two. I started season three and then I quit. Okay. Um, so... The reason why I don't like Daredevil, and it really is this, this simple, is that it's boring. Um, I think that the the binge format is a terrible format for storytelling, and I think that it did not work in this particular instance. I think it was just too much filler, and things were just stretched out unbearably long, and that the episodes had no form. And this is a problem that I have with a lot of Netflix shows in general. Um, but on top of that, I think that the show was really wed to a 1990s vision of what a superhero thing needs to be. And that means that it takes nine hours to get Daredevil into a costume, you know, and stuff like that. Like, I just don't like that. And yeah. I, I, I feel like we're past that. And I think that the MCU shows have really showed us this, that even like Kate Bishop in this oh, took, origin story, she's like six hours to get Hawkeye into a costume. <laughs> yeah. But, I, I, he, but he had been in a costume before. Yes. Yes. He's you know what I mean? Previous. Like he's had yeah. costumes previously, yeah. but like it's, it's Kate Bishop's origin story, quote unquote, in the six hours of Hawkeye, but she's already off the ground as Kate Bishop. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we're not spending a lot of time, like trying to get her into where we want her to be. She's yeah. already there, um, you know? And so that's part of my big problem with, 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 with daredevil. I think that the show did not embrace the daredevilness of it with the radar vision and stuff like that. It didn't, it didn't embrace um, keeping him out of the costume. I think the costume he ended up in, I don't think is a good looking costume, frankly. I think that foggy is one of the most irritating characters in television history. It's just one of the worst characters. And I think that what the show fucked up is that it has the, a premise that would allow you to do an episodic TV show with an overarching plot, and they didn't take it. He doesn't do any lawyering in the show. No. 
And that's the crazy. I mean, he, I'm sure somebody's gonna come and he did some wondering here and there, but like this show should have never, like right, that should have been a major focus. A major focus. It should have been like yeah. two main cases that run through the season. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, there's just no way to me that this wasn't. It was crazy to me that wasn't the way they went with it. <laughs> and it's just so obvious. And I hope that's what they do with She-Hulk. I hope that they do the lawyering in a big yeah. way because that's part of the deal. Yeah, and, and it's funny. It's that, and this is something I think about a lot with the Flash TV show of like, hey. CSI is really popular. Why is the Flash TV show not more of a CSI show? Because he is, in fact, a crime scene investigator. <laughs> so, like, why is that not part of the show more? And with with Daredevil, it's like, people love Law & Order. Why is that not part of this show? Like, why is there not more lawyer stuff? Um, along with what you said about Daredevil, I really... I One major problem I had with the show was that Daredevil would find something, Matt Murdock would find something out, and then the next episode... Uh, uh, Foggy and Karen would find out and we'd have to repeat the same steps. And that was very annoying. That really got tiring to me, at least in the first season. I don't remember how often that happened. Yeah. I just think the story, the the narrative structure of the Netflix shows is bad. Yes. And and And, then I I have the same problem with Daredevil that I have with a lot of the Batman stuff. There's more than Frank Miller. And that's all anyone focused. When they make these things, they're like Frank Miller. That's what we go with. There's the Frank Miller stuff, but they don't like they, they do like the, the top level of the Frank Miller stuff, like like the surface level stuff, but they don't dig into what the Frank Miller stuff, why it works so well. And they just play on those themes like, oh, he's religious. So, well, look, there's a cross. There you go. You know, we got to get to Electra, And it's like, no, like there's so much to Daredevil that you can play with. Play with it. Have fun with it. You know, and then that made, and also it was all like, Daredevil's a big acrobatic guy and he never did any acrobatics. And that bummed me out. Like, yeah, I like I mean, that stuff. Yeah, I, I, I found the, the action to be a little limiting. Um, yeah, very bland. Uh, Charles Villanueva says, apart from casting, what's the one thing you guys think Marvel Studios needs to get right about Fantastic Four? Somebody else in here asked, uh, I'm going to tie this in here. I can't find it. There's a, way more questions than I thought there were going to be. Uh, and we're going to have to wrap this up soonish because uh, we've already gone on for over an hour. Um, but uh, I want to tie that into sort of like how the Fantastic Four should work in the Marvel Universe. I think that the thing that Marvel needs to get right by the Fantastic Four is very simply – they need to be hopeful. And I think that in terms of where the world is right now, we need a really um, a bright-eyed and hopeful superhero family. And, like they yeah. need to fight within each other 100%. Like that course. needs to be the case. But their adventures need to not be like – don't bring in like the evil Reed Richards and like the adventures don't need to be like – painful they yeah. need to be and in fact what i mean what i really want i've talked about this before is that i want kang the conqueror to have defeated the fantastic four to have locked them in the quantum realm and to have erased them from our timeline and then for them to escape the quantum realm and to be like 1960s versions of the characters yeah and i don't want like a lot of fish out of water shit but I want that same Captain America thing where he's bringing an outdated sense of optimism and hope into the modern world. I want them to bring that 1950s, 60s science can make anything possible and make the world a better place perspective. You, you want a little – there's only one god, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't wear a cape. I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. He doesn't dress uh, like that, yeah. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Like not quite, but a little bit. Like yeah. I, wanna, I don't want well, – re- I, mean, I mean again, only from Avengers, but the, the Coulson bit with Captain America where Captain America is like – 
I think the Stars and Stripes are a little outdated these days. So people think the Stars and Stripes are outdated these days, don't you? And Coulson's like, well, maybe they, maybe we need to show that that's going to come back a little bit. Right. I think that so, one, there, yeah. there might be like a, 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 a dangerous urge to make like Elon Musk or yes. Steve Jobs like the version of Reed. But no, I don't want that. I want no. Reed – I don't want it to be informed by all of the negativity that we have towards technology now. Yeah. I want Fred on, McMurray. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I'm not. I don't. I don't, I don't want to flubber. Um, no, but but like, like I mean, like that, like more like Fred McMurray as he was on TV, where he's like, oh, I'm a you know a strong, I'm a confident father, and listen, don't worry well, about kids. That, we're going to handle this. And but like more that, than that, you know? what I mean is, I want a positive view to science. I don't want yes. like one of the things about the MCU is they're really interested in. Um, consequences of these things and so even tony stark and his science stuff ends up being like dark a lot of the time yeah um i don't want that i don't want reed richards inventing things that cause trouble yeah like i mean yes he oh, he gets into the negative zone and brings out a nihilist that's a problem but not because like he invented something bad yes um it's because like there's crazy things in the universe and he's exploring and discovering them Yes. And that's that's what I want. That's like the big thing to me is that I want a very positive view. Watching um, Don't Look Up this past weekend, one of the things that it has is it has a very negative view of technology. Yeah. And it, it has a very negative view of the neoliberal concept that like the free market technology wizards are going to save us. And yeah. I, I don't disagree with that. Like I'm not against that. But I do – I don't want to see Fantastic Four taking that tactic or having that or being based on some modern shitty billionaire guys i want to see it based on like what a 1963 vision of a dashing scientist is like yes. that's what i want to see yeah i i want i don't want them to be connected to the government in any way 100 percent right you know i want i want the garage scientist but the garage scientist who's creating good like you're saying yeah yeah like like they were in the 60s and the, you know that's what made it fun, I think. And and hope. It's got to be hopeful. The tone has to be a hopeful family feel to it, you know. I mean, I know this is the obvious answer. Like, The Incredibles has that feeling, I think. It yeah. works really well. But you know. The Incredibles before The Incredibles gets sad because The Incredibles yes. opens with, like, the superhero stuff. I mean, like, you know. I mean, like, yeah. so I, I – the stuff that The Incredibles is, like, referencing early on. But yeah, that's what I would like. And I would like them to show up into a difficult and shattered Marvel Universe post blip where people are having a hard time and their attitude is, okay, we can all work together and make this work. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I would really like that. Yeah, I, I don't want to read Richards who forms the Illuminati. I don't want things like that at all. Like I'm just not interested in that. Yeah, 100%. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, 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 within that same question um, – there's another question about uh, being scandalized by comic events. Uh, what 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 comic events scandalizes? I'm going to skip that for right now. Uh, I'm going to get to this part. This is a three part question from Charles Villanueva. Thoughts on the MCU relying on more insider baseball stuff, such as comic knowledge, trade reports, awareness of referential casting as a part of their storytelling. For example, Majors as Kang and Vincent as Kingpin. These guys show up in their finales with no prior in-story context. It's fun for us nerds, but might be alienating for normies. So I've been thinking about this a lot. Yeah. I think that they – there's two things happening. One, I think that if you were to watch these with clear eyes as a newbie, I think you could get it. Yes. Like the basics of it, I think you could get but I think the other part of it is that Marvel at this point has come to understand they're making multimedia product. Yes. By which I mean it isn't quite like the Matrix releasing the Animatrix and then also having a video game and you need to play to get the full story of the sequels. Yeah. 
It's more like they know you're going to go home and look it up. And they know that you're going to have the friend who you ask to tell you about Kang. And they know that you're going to have the guy at the office who talks about it. Yeah. And I think that's part of the built-in expectation. I think it's part of what actually on an unspoken level makes the MCU fun and communal is that you're going to walk out of the movie and you're going to go try to find out the stuff that you missed. Yes. And that becomes part of the game. I think that's part of it. And I also think less with Loki, but I think with Kingpin and Hawkeye, I'm going to use uh, anecdotal evidence of uh, our mother who watched Hawkeye and I asked her what she thought of what she knew of Kingpin. And she's like, well, they called him Kingpin and he's a big guy that beats up people. I imagine he's the, he's in charge of the mafia. Like she figured it out from his name and he's really big. That's it. That's all. Okay. That's all you need to know about him in that story. You know, with Loki, Kang was a little more, I had to explain things to her because he's just dropping at the end. And like, she was like, okay, he's in charge of like keeping the time stream, but what's his deal? Like, why is he just like kill me and let's see what happens? Like, it's a weird thing. And so, but I I imagine as Kang becomes more important, they'll go more into who he is in the movies. They're not going to just drop in Kang and everyone's going to be like, it's Kang. We all know who he is. You know, and, and move forward. But, you know, Ant Man's going to have to learn who Kang is in Quantum Mania, right? So, we'll see that stuff. So, I think they handle it well. I think they do a good job with that stuff overall. You know, it, I it's agree. Not overly confusing, and to me at least, I, I don't think audiences are overly confused by this stuff. Uh, dream Marvel comics roles for Atlanta Ham and Cooper Hoffman. If they ever become part of the MCU machine, I had this conversation with a friend today, having just seen the Chris pizza and love to hear your take. Uh, I don't know for Alana Ham. I think there's a lot of good, interesting characters she could play, but the answer for Cooper Hoffman, Derek hasn't seen the Chris pizza. No. The answer for Cooper Hoffman is only arcade, uh, because in the movie, Paul Thomas Anderson puts him in arcade clothes to open a pinball arcade. Well, there you uh, go. He's already been cast, I guess. He looks look look up Cooper Hoffman arcade on Twitter on Google and you will see pictures and he's just wearing an arcade suit. It's like yeah. it's like Paul Thomas Anderson did this on purpose. I am 100% positive. He's a fan of Marvel and he and his family love the MCU. Yeah, he's movies. he's caused I I think I think he's he's caused quite a few problems by being like I love the Marvel movies. And oh, here we go. everyone's like he's a pedophile. Uh, Kevin McDonald says to go back to Scorsese to draw a line under the endless Scorsese Marvel topics and social media. Martin Scorsese is given the keys to the Marvel kingdom. What comic book or sequel to an existing MCU film would he be best equipped to handle? I don't know. I don't know. I, I honest, I think, I think Scorsese could do interesting stuff with Eternals with something like that. When, when you're hitting that kind of godlike power and level, mm-hmm. it would be interesting. But I also think he could do a really in-depth and interesting, like, Captain America movie. Like, like he, I mean, he can do anything he wants. Like, let's, I mean, Scorsese's amazing. You give him something, he's going to do a good job with it. Like, it doesn't matter. When you give him the craptacular B-sides, he's going to make a good movie out of the craptacular B-sides. That's what he does, you know. But I don't know. I, I mean, obviously, the the instant thought is, is either something religious or something street level, but he can also... He does, you know, Hugo, and that's a very different thing, you know. So whatever he does, he does, and that's it. I think he'd do a cool Ghost Rider. Um, I think I would like to – the obvious answer is Daredevil, right? Because Daredevil's Catholic, Daredevil's like New York yeah. City, you know, like it's – that's like the really clear answer, I think. Um, I think Ghost Rider would be really fun because um, I think that um, elements of like faith and, and, and – um, 
and guilt that hang around that character. I think it'd be really interesting for him to play with. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you. I think some kind of cosmic thing would be really cool for him. I think that um, he can go big, and I would like to see him go really, really big. I don't want him to make a Marvel movie. Don't get me wrong. This is yeah. just somebody asked a question, and we're answering the questions. Yeah. Um, but uh, I find that uh, I find that really interesting. The idea of Scorsese going cosmic and sort of like picking up some of these big characters, like but Scorsese. Beyond uh, Silver Surfer would be amazing for Scorsese. Actually, Silver Surfer is actually. You know what? I'm going to take it back. Silver Surfer is the perfect Scorsese movie to make. Yeah. That's that's the answer. Yeah. Yeah. The man searching for his place in the universe. Yeah. That's a hundred percent the perfect um, the perfect one. Silver Surfer surfing through the galaxy. The Rolling Stones playing. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm a Marvel guy. I've been reading since the late 80s, but when I was a kid, I loved the John Wesley ship Flash TV show. So Flash has been my default DC guy, but I find it impossible to make any headway into his books because they're so dense. Any tips for starting points in Flash? I tried the New 52 and the 2016 Rebirth, and neither of them stuck. This is a question for you. Um, yeah, uh, New 52 Flash was, I did not like. Uh, Rebirth starts a little rough. The newer ones, uh, since the new writer Jeremy Adams came on, I think it's a little cleaner. He's doing Wally West stuff, but it's still a lot of background info. The best way is to go back and go to the post-crisis Flash series. Uh, and, and from that, all you need to know is the previous Flash died saving the universe, and the new Flash feels a weight on his shoulders to have to live up to that. And that's Wally West. And, and the first... Like 14 issues, a little rough. Then Bill Messner Loves takes over, and I think the book really takes off then. Even then, there are people that have problems with the book because Wally, in the first 14 issues, Wally's written as a very uh, misogynist rich kid because that's what he is at that point. And then when Bill Loves takes over, he continues that path for a bit, and then he has Wally lose all his money, he becomes uh, bankrupt, and, and he becomes homeless, and like all this stuff. And instead of just switching Wally over instantly, Loeb spends time having Wally grow up in the story. And so it takes a little while, but he finally gets there and he becomes a hero. He becomes, you know, the flash that we would like to see. And I really love that stuff. And then Mark Wade followed Bill Loeb's and that's when the book gets real superhero. Like the social issues get left behind and becomes much more of a superhero story, but it's great superhero stories. And that stuff's really good. So like the, the book started in 87. I say read up through, from one to two hundred is a great run. That's that's uh, uh, Mike Barron and, and Jackson Geis. That's Bill Loeb's, uh, 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 Greg LaRoque, uh, Mark Wade, Mike Waringo, and a few other artists in there. And then like the first half of the Jeff Johns run. And then after like two hundred, it starts falling apart, in my opinion. But uh, which is that's two hundred comics right there. So have fun with it. There, there you go. That's, that's yeah. there's a there's a heck of an answer. Um, I can keep going. I could go real deep into it. No, you definitely could. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you guys feel about more MCU projects in the horror genre coming out in the future? I'm beyond excited for Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness, but I'm also really interested to see what else they might do with other characters. For example, I'd love to see a great werewolf by night movie. I'm eager to hear what you guys have to say. Uh, good news about werewolf by night. It seems like it's happening this year. Um, yeah, with Blade coming, I'm really excited that they're going to uh, start exploring that section of the Marvel Universe. I'm really interested in it. I think it's going to be really fun. And um, yeah, I mean, like that, yeah, that, I'm, just, I'm psyched about it. Yes, I agree. 
I, I'm, I, I really like that the more time that goes by in this, this age of superheroes is that they're getting more, they're opening up doors to, to different areas of superheroes. So like this whole concept of like, they're all the same movie, which has never really been true in my book. But now, you know, we've moved into the sci-fi eras and we've moved in and now we're opening up to horror and like we're mixing the, as they mix more genres. I think it's going to get more and more fun. So there you go. Uh, Mobius. Mike Trainer Mobius is going to be amazing. <laughs> Everybody's excited for Morbius. Mike Trainer has the question. Um, he wants us to rank all the 2022 superhero movies by how excited we are. I think that's uh, my, my brain doesn't do that. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't know all of them. Um, but what do you, what doc what, what, let's just take it down to one though what's the 2022 movie you're most excited for in the superhero that we would be covering on the Watchmen program hmm. and it's either uh, Spider Verse two or Aquaman two because I love both of the first ones so you know and and I, I'm really hopeful that with Aquaman James Wan gets even crazier and I'm hoping with Spider Verse two they get even milder. Spider-Verse 2 I'm really excited about. Um, that one I'm really, really looking forward to. I I don't think it's going to end up coming out, but Black Panther 2 I'm really excited for just because I want to see what they're doing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's just yeah. such a yeah, that, that one I, I just keep thinking, I keep forgetting it's supposed to come out in 2022. So It's supposed to. I don't know if yeah. it's going to. Uh, but, uh, you know, that that's exciting because it's just so – because they have had so many problems with it that yeah. I am kind of um, – intrigued by what it's going to be. So on that one's, I'm not even like excited, like, Oh, I can't wait to see it. But that one, I'm like, boy, what is that going to look like? Yeah. That's going to be interesting. The, um, I think somebody else asked this too. I'm sorry. I don't have all of the questions right here, but somebody also asked what MCU things on Disney plus are you most excited about? And I think that moon Knight is the number one thing I'm excited for in 2022 on MC on Disney plus. I'm, I'm very hopeful for she Hulk. Cause I'm really hoping that they're pulling from the Dan slot. She Hulk run. I'm pretty sure it's Dan Slott and John Byrne heavily influenced. Yeah. So that makes me really hopeful. That'll be a really fun show to watch. Moon Knight, I'm sure is going to be good. Like, like I'm, it looks good at least. I mean, who knows, but I, I think that'll be pretty fun. But She-Hulk seems much more, if they're doing Byrne slot, getting real weird and fun with it, then that's going to be much more my, my jam. I mean, I'm looking forward to that. I think what I'm really excited for is that one, I think Oscar Isaac is like one of my favorite actors of all time yeah, yeah, at this point. Amazing. Like I just amazing. love Oscar Isaac. And so yeah. to watch a weekly Oscar Isaac shows me very exciting to me, but also the stuff that we've seen so far makes it look super fucking weird. And, um, also captures comic book imagery that I don't know that we've gotten at this level. Yeah, before. I, I mean, that one shot of him jumping across the buildings, it was very exciting to me. Yeah, and I think that was, I think, what really got me. That was, I think, what it was the, the Oscar Isaac of it and the Ethan Hawke. I mean, like, come on, like Oscar Isaac and Ethan Hawke in a fucking superhero TV show? Okay, I'm excited about that. But um, that image was the one that really, I was like, okay, this is does the Ethan most. Does Ethan know he's in the show? He does know he's in the show. Okay. He's been in interviews about it. Because okay. he's uh, hustled in interviews where he talks about, like, how he would never do superhero stuff, like, while uh, they were filming. And it's like, that's yeah. weird. <laughs> like, he is he not, not aware? He may not view this as superhero stuff, but also I think that the design of Moon Knight's costume is the maybe the most exciting design of a costume in the MCU to date. I disagree. What do you think is the most exciting costume in the MCU to date? I don't want to say because it's spoilers. That's pretty exciting too. But I think there's something <laughs> about there's something about the Moon Knight costume, the little bits we've seen, and the way that it is like a mummy kind yes. of a thing. Yeah. No, it's a very cool looking costume. It's a and we talked cool about this before. Costume. It's 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 a costume that's not tactical. 
Yeah. And I'm so sick of these tactical costumes that we've yes. seen in so many of these movies that yeah. this looks like a, a really weird costume. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's going to really stand out. Yeah. Um, let's do another, let's do our last voicemail, shall we? Oh, okay. Hi there. Good evening, gentlemen. Hope you're both doing well. This is Andrew Clark, and I've got a two-part question for you. What Marvel project coming up or superhero project are you most looking forward to? Oh, no, Andrew, and we just what, answered that. if any, do you have the most trepidation about? Okay, guys. Happy New Year. Have a good one. I guess we can do trepidation since we already answered the, the first we part. We answered right? the first part of that, yeah. So what yeah. are we – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I'm gonna say my answer, and it's gonna, you're not going to like it. Well, let's see. The Flash. I feel the same way. It is It is the movie that most looks like an opportunity for a true faceplant. There's multiple things, I think, that make me very worried about The Flash. One of them is It Chapter 2, which I think has a lot of problems. It's and not a good movie, man. I think it's an okay movie. I don't think it's a bad movie, but I, I, I don't think it lives up to the first part, the first it. And then, but it's written by the the writer who wrote Birds of Prey, which I really liked. So that gives me some hope. Um, and it's based on the, the John Francis Daly concept. So I, I, or at least he's, they're still getting credit. I don't know how much it's based on it. Who knows? But uh, so that's some stuff. I feel like it's a really. It's real rough that Marvel's going to have four multiverse movies before Flash comes out. <laughs> you know, that's pretty rough. That's a, that's a rough day <laughs> when the Flash birthed the multiverse in, in comics. It's a real bummer. Somebody had before had mentioned the idea that Marvel keeps eating DC's lunch. There's no, I mean, they straight out just mock DC and No Way Home with, with Flash Thompson writing a book called Flashpoint, in my opinion. And, uh, yeah, that I'm, and I, it's just nothing in the trailer really made me excited. It just looked dark and grim, and it's like I'm I'm not a big fan. One thing that has really made me sad when it comes to Flash in the recent years is the retcon to have that his mother was murdered, and that's why he becomes a, a police scientist, and that's why he becomes a superhero. I one of the things I always loved about Flash was the, all the flashes were the flashes because it was the right thing to be. It was, there was no dark piece to their history. It was just like, well, I have these powers. I should help people. And I liked that. You know, when, like once you have to give him a Batman origin, that's like, oh, his mom died in front of him when he was nine. It's like, well, that sucks. Like, I could, like not every hero should have to have a dark past to them. You right. Know? And, and like there are ones that should, sure. Like you, Spider-Man without a dark past, I don't think would work very well. But like... I don't think they all need it. And I like that Flash didn't have that. I like that he was just doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And I know this movie's going to play into the death of his of his mom and stuff like that and him trying to stop the death of his mom. And I just have no interest in that. I think it's a very boring way to go with the character. Yeah, I mean, just also it just looks really overstuffed. And I think we talked about this on a previous show, which is that if you're going to do a multiverse movie, what's great about No Way Home is that spoilers, but by now you know this. It's the other Spider-Men that are showing up, and in The yeah. Flash, it's the other, it's other Batman showing up. It just doesn't have the same, you know, thing to it. Um, <laughs> like, like one thing that has come up, and I think it's a very fair question, is there any Flash in this Flash movie? Yes. You know, there's two Batmans. There's the Kryptonian villains from, from Man of Steel. 
there's Supergirl. Where's like that's a lot of characters for the first Flash movie. Like, well, it's also just again, it says none of these characters and none of them are part of the Flash's Flash life. Life, and that's the thing is there's not enough Flash stuff that's existed to to you can't. It's hard to open with this premise. Yeah. That's yeah. what makes me really trepidatious. I think it's just a bad idea. Yeah, from the start, there's just not enough back stuff in this character's thing for the general audience to latch onto, and they have to throw in other shit that has nothing to do with him. Yeah, and so that is and a bummer. It's a shame because there's great Flash stuff you could pull. Like, there's amazing Flash stories, and it bums me out that this is that it's so not Flash centric. Even though, right. like, I mean, multiverse stuff is Flash centric, but it's like. I, I don't know. I don't know. So Jim B. Johnson says, so what did we learn about Marvel entering the TV world in force in 2021? More importantly, what did the bigwigs learn? How does this impact t- 2024 and beyond? Are six to eight episode series on their home streaming service the future of geek media? The answer to that is yes. I yeah, that- I was looking actually the other day and I, I realized that WandaVision was 10 episodes or nine episodes. And it's the longest of the shows. And I, I, I think somewhere after WandaVision, they're like, we should cut it down. Like while they were making WandaVision, they might have been with the other shows. Like maybe not so long. Maybe um, we don't need that much. Yeah, but I think we can maybe still. And I, who, I think they'll. It's about budgeting. I think is how it's going to come for. But I, I feel forward. like the the Hawkeye six episode maneuver was smart. I guess Hawkeye is the least watched of all the shows, so I don't know what you're j- j- basing that on. Is it? I mean, it is. Yeah. Do we don't know? We, we don't do know. know. They they said that. They Disney wouldn't say came that. out and was like, hey, it's the least watched. Well, no, actually, I think what it was is I think that there's an independent auditing company that did their own thing. Yeah, but the independent auditing company I believe connects the, to like 20% of people watching. Like, it's I, just not, I don't trust that stuff. I fundamentally believe Because it. according to them, this according to the same company, Titans is like the biggest show in the world. That's how sampling works. Yeah, but, according, should, uh, but again, according to them, Titans is the biggest show in the world, and nobody watches fucking Titans. I don't know. Um, I think that the big things that are learned is that the future of these things are on TV. I think the future between Star Wars and Marvel, I think the most exciting stuff happening in those universes have been on TV. Um, I think that both of these universes are – they, and also DC, frankly, lend themselves to the serialized storytelling of a TV show. Yeah. And I think that if you're doing it this way where you're doing a motion picture over the course of six episodes, then I think that you're that's the right way to do it. Again, I, to go back to the Daredevil thing, I think those shows were not doing motion pictures. They were doing – their own weird thing that just did not feel big enough. And I don't even mean like big enough, like world ending stakes. I mean, I think Hawkeye had the right level of big enough, you know, it wasn't giant. It was, you know, there's like a Christmas tree fight. And, um, I think that that's the lesson that this is where it is. And I think that you can maintain the buzz and the excitement all year round. You give a little bit of a break in between each of them. And I think it really has proven to be, and I think enormously successful for both, both of those brands yeah. and I think it could be enormously successful for DC moving forward. Warner brothers is moving forward with doing a lot of stuff on HBO max in that DC universe. And I think that's where the real next thing is going to pop is going to be there. Uh, I agree. I agree. I think it's a mix. I, I think it's a mix of movies and TV and finding that proper line between the two. Michael DeFazio says, um, well, when and how do they introduce Miles Morales into the MCU? Is it the same Miles from the Spider-Verse movies? I think Miles Morales may not get make it into the MCU based on how Sony's playing games. So I wouldn't hold my breath. I mean, how I'd, far are we from Disney just buying Sony? <laughs> like, 
Um, Wasn't so, Sony trying to sell their film stuff like a, like two, three years ago? They like, were, but I don't, I don't think that the... Um, I think now that they I just... Think the regular, I, no, I don't think the regulatory agencies would allow that. Okay. Um, I don't think they allowed Disney to buy everything. Um, what is your prediction for how Marvel Phase 4 and 5 play out? Uh, Miles Morales, I think if they do introduce him, he'll just be a kid in the neighborhood. I don't think that they'll connect it to Spider-Verse. Um, but as how things will play out, I really think we're going to see Galactus pretty soon. I think that's pretty clear, right? Like that's I will tell you, I will tell you that we're going to see Galactus. Yeah. Yeah. That, that felt like the end of Eternals to me. What is that? Uh, they're going to be sending Galactus by. Um, and I imagine I'll connect to Fantastic Four in some way, but I don't know where the multiverse stuff is going to go. I really don't like, I don't know. Like, is it like, obviously Kang is in quantum mania, but I don't know. Like, will it be an Avengers movie where they have to deal with all of that? Or is it going to be something else? I have no idea. I have no idea what they're doing. Um, I, you know, if I had to guess, I would guess a couple of things. I think phase four, we know most of the movies that are already announced. I don't think they're going to have an Avengers this phase unless they're holding out, um, announcing it. I do think that, my my best guess is that we are building towards um, uh, Secret Wars is my the, best guess. Like the Beyonder Secret Wars or the other Secret Wars? Both. Okay. Like merged. Okay. Conceptually merged. Yeah. Um, so like everybody loves Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. Guess what? He's on – He's on he's on Battle World and yeah. also but also so is Tom Holland. Do you know what I mean? Like I think that that's like the the thing, and then you can pull in all these different characters, and you can pull them from across the multiverse, and uh, that can be like your big like blowout to the multiverse storytelling. What do you think the chances are that Chris Evans shows up as Hydra Cap? Uh, you know, somebody was saying on Twitter they want him to show up as the as the Human Torch, and I agree with that. Actually, that would be funny. I want him only as the Human Torch, only not as, as Captain America. America. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I think that might be kind of where you go with this stuff because you want to bring it to a thing. Yeah, and then when you finish that, I think what you want to do is you want to put something in place so that you don't have to have every fucking story be about the multiverse anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, now that this has happened and Battle World has been destroyed, uh, the the lines between the multiverse are stronger than ever, and you know it's hard to switch from one reality to the next. And good yeah. luck out there. You know what I mean? Like something like that. Like because right now it's just a little bit too easy. It seems like for people to just bounce around. Yeah. And you do want to bring everybody together. You do want to watch you Jackman fight whoever the new Wolverine is, right? I Obviously, don't, I don't at all. Well, you don't, but I think the the people do. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that there's a lot to do with that. But I do think Secret Wars is the obvious next big Marvel event, though, I feel like. Probably. Um, just in terms of like, just it's an obvious story to tell. Do, do you call a, it Secret Wars or do you call it Contest of Champions? You call it Secret Wars. I think Contest of Champions is so different anyway, but I think Secret Wars got the better name recognition. Yeah. So that's it's a, better, it's a cooler name, too. I think Contest of Champions is good for like a Thor title. Yeah. Although they sort of did a contest of champions movie a little bit, not really, but like close, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's the other thing. Um, Kirby Pulver says you both obviously know each other very well, but in discussing these stories all year with each other, is there something new you learned about the other's taste or appreciation or likes dislikes that you didn't know before in regards to storytelling, films, superheroes, etc.? I'm going to answer this first. Okay. Because I was convinced you were going to hate the Eternals. Yes. I mean, a hundred percent. Like I walked out of that theater and said to Brittany, Oh, Derek is going to hate this. Yep. 
And that was a really exciting surprise for me to dis- to see that you loved it and you loved it as much as I did. That was really cool, and I think I um, I underestimated you on that one. Yes, I, there's an interesting thing in our family that uh, I, I'm I'm considered not a very spiritual person. I'm actually quite a spiritual person. I just don't talk about it because it's my spirituality and it's not other people's spirituality, and that's how I look at it. And I think Eternals plays a lot into that. But uh, I don't think I've learned anything new in your taste because you are very open with your tastes. And like you've been a critic for decades. So I read your your critiques and tastes quite often. And so I'm like I walked out of Eternals knowing like, oh, Devin loved that without a doubt in my mind, you know. Um, I've never – there's nothing – that you've said that has surprised me in your feelings because you, you are, your feelings are much more out there than mine. are. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. But I do. Yeah. Eternal just everything about it. I just thought that this was like one that you were just going to like bounce off of. And not even because the spirituality or like the thematics of it, there was just something about the storytelling and all that stuff and the way that the, I mean the first 20 minutes I, I was not sure I was going to like it. Yeah, I think that might have been like what I I thought that, that yeah. you were never you were never going to be able to get in because the I thought the first twenty minutes might be more than you could handle. I remember sitting in the um at the premiere of the Avengers, and the first fifteen minutes of that movie, Oof. sitting there going, "Oh my god, this is a fucking disaster! This yep. all of this effort has led to the worst fucking movie of all time." And then yep. it it pulls itself together. And I don't think that the Eternals has as rough an opening as the Avengers. It's but I think close, that though. first viewing, I think it's like it's, it can take a minute to get in. Yeah. It's a little and, close. That, yeah. that opening where it's like, Oh, is this really, this is what, Oh, is this really it? Ooh. Yeah. And then you go, Oh no, this is actually really great. Yeah. Um, I think the opening of Eternals is better than the opening. I think having rewatched the Avengers a number of times, I think that um, the opening sucks. There's just something so off about watching Loki drive away on the back of a Jeep and you're like, what? (laughs) Like, really? This is what he's doing? It just feels goofy. I don't like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because Man of Steel had the exact opposite where the first 15 minutes is like, this is going to be the greatest goddamn movie I've ever seen. And then it falls apart. Once we get yeah. off Krypton, I'm like, oh, what happened? Where did the exact dragons go? (laughs) While we were here doing this episode, we got one more voicemail. Uh Uh-oh. I'm going to play it. Okay. I don't know what it's going to say. Uh-oh. Are you ready? Yep. Hey, guys. uh, Long-time listener, first-time caller, Sean Jordan here. Um, I'm really curious what you think about how they clearly seem to be setting up some pretty major teams for down the road. Uh, I'm talking Thunderbolts, which I could see uh, U.S. Agent and Yelena being part of until Hawkeye. I really thought that that's how that was going to come back. Uh, Young Avengers, we've got Kate, we've got Kathy, we've got Billy, uh, we've got Tommy. Uh, we have Miss America coming up, and we, they've set the stage for Patriot. Uh, there's a couple others, but we could see how they could get there. And then I, I think the long shot here is Midnight Suns. Uh, some established characters like Hellstrom, Morbius, Strange, Ghost Rider, Punisher, Moon Knight, even Werewolf by Night. Um, from what you said, Devin, about Moon Knight leaning into werewolves and vampires. Um, what do you think about, you know, is this where they're going? Uh, what do you think the team's going to be? And, like, what do you think the potential is going to be? I mean, when you don't have your, you know, Captain America, Thor, Iron Man to bank on, um, I how big do you see these franchises getting? 
Thanks, guys. That's such a good question, and it's something I've been thinking about, and that sort of speaks into the question of like what's coming up in Phase 4 and 5. I have a sneaking suspicion that we are going to see the Marvel Universe, um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, splinter into silos. And there will be a Young Avengers silo, and there will be a Thunderbolt silo, and there will be these individual movies that will lead to team-up movies that will be happening concurrently with each other, and then eventually those team-up movies will all team up for the ultimate team-up movie. Yeah. I think that's what makes the most sense. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good idea, yeah. And so that's Secret Wars, right? Like, so like the, when you finally get there, you've established the Thunderbolts and they've had two movies. You've established Young Avengers. They've had two movies. Maybe you establish the New Avengers or the Secret Avengers or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And then also, as as Sean mentions there, um, Midnight Suns, I think is a really Which good Which I hadn't even thought of. That's great. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. That really would be really cool too. I can definitely see like Doctor Strange 3, Midnight Suns. Yeah, and then now you have all of this stuff come together, and then you can then bring all of that together in the biggest ever thing, which I think you need to keep building in size for these Avengers-level things. And I do wonder, in fact, um, if they're going to ditch the Avengers as the as the central thing, and they're just going to have Marvel Studios Secret War. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's just it. Like, it's just that. And then the next one is Marvel Studios Annihilation. You know what I mean? Like whatever you want to – whatever big event you want to do, you no longer have it be under the Avengers banner. The Avengers is going to have its own banner, its own thing. And then they all of these silos come together for the big, big thing. And with the world of the TV shows especially where we can be running so many different things, that seems reasonable to me. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And they're definitely setting up new teams right i mean it's hard not to see young avengers forming they've definitely yeah put every young avenger into play yeah and 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 thunderbolts as well seems to be coming together in some fashion it's interesting because until this call i hadn't thought about it like i guess yelena could be on either team on young avengers or thunderbolts i think that they've established her as a thunderbolt because of her thing with val yeah I think that's where that goes is she's a thunderbolt pull away and then becoming i think that she's too old for young avengers those characters are kids. And she's like the same age as Kate, isn't she? No, she's older than Kate. Oh, I guess she is. Yeah, 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 yeah. She might be closer in age to Kate because of the blip now, but she is technically when, older than Kate. When was Blackwood? The opening of Blackwood was what, like 94? She's probably like in her late 20s. Okay. Is my guess. Mid to late 20s. Kate's yeah. 22. I would say that she's five to seven years older. And she's only and she's only five years older because Kate because she's gone for five yeah. years. She's actually ten yeah. years older. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's my guess. Right. I think that she's just too old for those other characters, especially. I think when you look at like, you know, Ms. Marvel and when yeah. you look at um with the character they, the guy they cast for Wiccan as as a more grown up, I think that you begin to realize these are way younger than Yelena. And also she's like a killer and stuff like that. It just I think doesn't fit in with that vibe. Cassie and Ant Man, she doesn't really fit in with that team. She fits in with the Thunderbolts. You yeah. got Zemo, you know, you got US Agent, you got Black Widow. Those are like your cornerstones for for a Thunderbolts team. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. But the Midnight Suns makes a lot, a lot of sense. And I hadn't thought about it either, really. And I think that's kind of cool. And, uh, but yeah, that's what I think. Black Knight and Blade and Doctor Strange, Moon Knight. Yeah. 
Be yeah, times. Werewolf by Night. Yeah, I mean, you have all these guys. Um, you have all these guys possibly uh, showing up, and I think that that would be really, really fun. And I think with the TV shows, you can do more solo things, and then start doing your movies as being kind of bigger crossover things. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, maybe you still want to do smaller movies. I don't know. But like, I feel like Black Widow, so one of the questions somebody had is like, what MCU movie should have been a TV show? And the answer is Black Widow. That's that's oh, the number one doubt. answer. Yeah, without doubt. I mean, like, it's not even a question. Yeah. And and I, I also think at this point we've seen multiple times that Marvel's not afraid to drop characters people don't, don't know and just make a movie. You know, I, again, Guardians, Shang-Chi, you know, Eternals. Like, they just, like, here you go. Here's their movie. And... Aside from the box office of Eternals, they've all worked. You know, they, they're not overly even uh, Captain Marvel. You know, like they just put them out. Here you go. You know, you can trust us. So I don't think I don't think they're afraid to just do it to be like, OK, here we go. I, I do think that there's the plausibility of them going very big with some of this stuff. I think they've proved that they can. Yeah. Like, I mean, like not to be like too lamo here but like i think endgame whatever problems i have with it is like a fucking enormous it's huge character bump you know i mean it's all these characters yeah. coming together and that was the thing that people loved the most so like you kind of want to keep doing that yeah i, I mean that. getting to see the guardians interacting with iron man was very exciting for you know it's like oh that's cool that's something i didn't expect to really see but i think what's even more exciting for people was not just that but i think it was seeing the wizards and the Wakandans, you know what I mean? Yes. Like that's oh, like yeah, the yeah. thing, like because like Iron Man and the Guardians, you can kind of see because they actually had been bouncing off of each other anyway in in Infinity War, um, right? Hadn't they? Yeah, they had. Been. Well, had I, been I, I, Infinity time. War Endgame to me, I mean, it's one movie. But like the the end the end of Endgame, the yeah. on your left in the portals, what yeah. got people popping was these all these different worlds really coming together yeah. in a big way, and yeah. I think that's what's really fun about knocking together uh all of these things so i th I think that's what they're probably building towards i think that sean's really right on the money there and i do think that what we're going to see is the siloization of the mcu i think this will also help with an earlier question how do you keep the mcu fun one answer is that you put it into silos yeah and honestly if you don't care about the spy shit then you just don't watch the spy shit yeah yeah you, you know but like you have yeah you have Exactly. Yeah. You have like the spy street level stuff. You have the cosmic stuff. You have the horror stuff. You have the sort of mainstream superhero stuff. And then you can kind of pick and choose. Once upon a time, I'm going to tell an old story that I think I've probably told on this uh, particular program before. I was on the set of Iron Man 2. And this is the very, this is as early as you get in the Iron Man. I became a GIF. Uh, I became a GIF on that. I did. Yeah. But I was on the set and I talked to, Kevin Feige, because I have the other movies coming out. And I said, you know, Kevin, like your vision of this, like right now these movies are coming out like every like seven or eight months or whatever. There was like maybe just barely two a year at that point, like leading up to the Avengers. And so what's your vision for this? And what he said was the vision is you're going to have a Marvel movie every season, four times a year, and they're all going to be really different. Yeah, this is, It's not going to be like Iron Man in the summer and then uh, War Machine in the winter. It's going to be like back then he said, you know, Iron Man in the summer and Doctor Strange in the winter. He wants he, – they wanted it to feel different. And so moving forward, the siloization allows you to do that. It allows you to create little semi-contained universes where the characters that fit well together get to hang out together all the time. And then eventually you bring them back together. Yeah. And that feels like the plan from the beginning if he was talking about that back then, having four Marvel movies a year with each one feeling really distinct from the other ones. 
Um, I think that that really feels like what the probable future of this whole thing is. It makes sense. I, I think it makes sense. You know, uh, I'm for it. <laughs> I'm not against it. I mean, I've always thought, I, I really think from very early on, they've done a good job of making each movie they release a different type of movie than the one that came before it. Like, you know. Yeah, I've always, I've never understood the, um, I've never understood the argument these movies are all the same. I just don't agree with that. I yeah. just don't think that Guardians of the Galaxy and Captain America the Winter Soldier are the same movie. I just I just don't believe it. I don't think that Shang-Chi is the same movie as Black Widow. I just I just I just yeah. don't I don't I don't buy it. Well, I mean Captain America the First Avenger followed by Thor and they're very two vastly different types of movies. Yeah. You know, even back then. So Yeah. No, I agree. Um, we're at like two hours. I think this is enough. We have not, we not even made a dent into these questions. You guys came through. We got through all the voicemails, uh, but you guys came through on the text questions. Thank you so much for leaving such great questions. I hope that we answered them in, in some kind of an interesting way for two, the last two fucking hours. Um, I, uh, but I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys being here with us through this whole journey on Marvel vision that we began earlier this year. Um, just sort of like as a, Hey, wouldn't it be fun to also do this in addition to the bad batch? And, uh, it's been something that I think we've had a good time doing. I think we've, except for what if really enjoyed this, I think. Yeah. What if was not good, <laughs> but uh, the other ones I like, well, the Falcon winter soldier was kind of rough too. But, but that wasn't like horribly rough. That no. was just sort of like, because it, it was when you got to the end, you were like, oh, okay, it didn't yeah. really all come together as, as I hoped yeah. it would. Yeah. Um, that was the other rough one. But that wasn't that, again, that wasn't like, what if by like four episodes in, I was like, oh no. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh no. I but don't want to watch this. What if from about 10 minutes into the first episode, I was like, oh. <laughs> is this going to be callbacks to like other stuff that you've already done? Uh, that is what what if is, but yes. um, but, but they, like uh, usually, like I was hoping they would go a little further, and they I mean, really, maybe they will in season two, which we'll maybe. be covering on this program next year, or the zombie show that we're I guess we'll have to cover. We'll have to cover that as well. Um, so what's going to happen Whatever. is that we didn't do our our recap, so we'll do that like our like roundup, like our discussion of what worked and what didn't. So that's the what if stuff would go into that. Everything we'll worked. That. What if didn't? <laughs> like, I think well, that's pretty much where we landed we'll, up. Right? Well, 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 let's let's do that next week. We'll do um news and that and maybe some other questions that we have left there was just so many questions is it next week distinguished competition or is that two that's weeks? two weeks okay. from now and then we're going to come back and we're going to do peacemaker on this program we're going to yes. do james gunn's peacemaker we're going to go into the dc universe and we're going to enjoy that i think um, three episodes in the first day that's kind of rough i don't love that yeah hopefully they're half hour <laughs> i don't think they are that's going to be real rough then um we're also this week going to have a new episode of the Bad Batch up. I swear to God, we've been promising that and we haven't done it. But this week, the Book of Boba Fett debuted. Yeah. And the first or, episode. Whereas my my friend's uh, uh, autocorrect changed it when he texted me. If I had watched it, it was the Book of Baby Fat. <laughs> <laughs> the Book the book of baby fat debuted this week. So we're going to be discussing uh, the book of baby fat on our show, the bad batch, which you listening to this for free, potentially the bad batch is available only to subscribers at the $1 and above level. Um, I am feeling really good about Omicron right now, weirdly enough. Okay. And I think that Watchmen we're going to be able to do Morbius. I think we're going to be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. But, with that said, I looked at a calendar, and there's no way that we're going to do Morbius in January. Uh-oh. Even if we went to opening show. 
It's okay. just not going to happen because like yeah. it's like literally like the last two days of the month. Yeah. So like we're going to – it's going to be our February episode. So what we're going to do is we're going to do in January a Watchmen that's going to be an old movie. Okay. And we're going to put up a poll for uh, the Watchmen subscribers that they're – as it's classic in the off months that we put up a poll for the subscribers to decide which old superhero movie we will be watching. Yeah. And uh, so we'll leave that up to you guys at home. Watchmen is available to uh, subscribers at the $5 and above level. Thank you guys for listening. Again, thanks so much for the questions. They're all really, really great. Yeah, we, this was we, fun. We, we didn't get to all of them because there were just so many of them, which I thought was really amazing and way better than I expected. And it was so great to hear your guys' voices on the voicemail. I do want to do this again in the future, and we'll be able to do the voicemail then as well. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Derek, where can they find you on the internet? They can find me on Twitter at WH underscore Woolhat. You can find me on Twitter at DevonCF, and you can subscribe to all the rest of these podcasts at www.patreon.com slash cinemasanga, S-A-N-G-H-A. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Thanks for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber or cannot subscribe, please consider rating and reviewing us on your podcast app of choice. Derek tells me that Spotify now offers reviews. Yes, I reviewed it on there. Good for you. I think you know, Are you allowed to do that? I don't see why not. They didn't legally. Nobody, nobody kicked down my door and arrested me. I don't know. Now somebody's going to report this. I mean, I'm going to start Ben Kissel on it and just put it on everybody's phones on the Mac. We'll be back next week. Until then, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be safe, may you be well, but most of all, may you remain a true believer.